very rainy week in Baltimore. It really has. Has it been a rainy week or just like two days? It's been two days, but I feel it was really warm and beautiful, and then it just hit. Yes. Fall came in like a locomotive. It... It really did. Racing John Henry. Well, was that I, the one? I felt like, <laughs> something like that. Because I feel like it like came in really hot, like hot or cold. It was like super cold. And then it got really nice and warm again. And now it's like just sad and dreary. But I did get to wear my new like wool coat today, which was very exciting. Ooh. It's a big, just long wool, like Orange, like burnt orange trench coat. It's so fucking good, and I'm so excited. So it's nice when you get those bundle up days. Oh, I love it. So I'm super excited about coat weather. That's for sure. I love a good coat. Um, but we're not here to talk about coats. No, we aren't. <laughs> we're here to talk about women and history on the rocks with Katie and Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history, and we talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance mm-hmm. but the thing is if you're a new listener and you are don't know what we do exactly here just to give you a heads up we are drinking the entire time yeah and we are not professional historians no absolutely googlers <laughs> we found all this info everywhere that you would find this info but we just did it for you so you don't have to yeah exactly like a nice early christmas present exactly <laughs> oh we're getting close too i know wonderful uh, all right well we are you ready to get into this? Yeah, let's I'm ready do to get it. Into the story. Um, I'm sure everybody else is too, but they're busy. They're so busy. <laughs> they are busy wrapping their first Christmas gift because they, are. they or whatever holiday you're about to celebrate. Yes, <laughs> because the people are trying to get done early. Everybody's yeah. stuck at home. We're all oh Amazon gosh. shopping. I'm like half done already. I've gotten a few gifts actually. Yeah. I'm really excited. I've gotten um, yours and Jake's for the sibling gift exchange. Oh, perfect. Um, I think I know what I'm getting you. Personal, personally podcast exchange, podcast exchange. <laughs> and then I've got my dad's gift which I'm really Ooh. excited about yeah I love that we have to buy each other two presents I know. <laughs> so that people don't know that we always get well, each other a so present funny because like I have four I mean three siblings so if there's four of us and then we all have significant others it's a so lot of people it's like if you got every person a present like we did that for years and it was exhausting and, and expensive. expensive and then we're like let's just get booze and then it was like this is so impersonal <laughs> and then we were doing Secret Santa for a while, and now I think we've got the best system ever. It's like rotate, 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 <laughs> rotate the couples because the women, like all the sisters and sister-in-laws always just bought the presents for right. the couple anyways. Yeah. yeah. So anyways, that was family corner. It was very family corner. Um, so <laughs> you're yeah, welcome. Y- you're, you're wrapping presents, <laughs> but it's too early to listen to Christmas music. Yeah. So you were like, okay, well, I'm just going to listen to this podcast while I wrap presents. Yeah, exactly. So... We need to describe what these women look like because you can't get out your phone. No, you won't have time. No, and you really want to make sure those creases are tight. Um, So we're going to describe what these women look like so you can have a visual in your head while we're talking. We're going to get a little physical, physical. Allie, who are you doing? What does she look like? I am doing Lillian Gilbreth, and she was tall and thin and very gazelle-like. Mm. Like, if she was an animal, I think she would have been a gazelle. Mm-hmm. Um, although, I just think she looks tall and thin. She may have not been tall, but to me, she looked tall and thin. Yeah. I believe she had red hair, although the pictures are in black and white. There were uh-huh. references to red hair. Okay. She was very stoic to the point of almost looking cold okay. in some pictures, but she had a prominent nose and um she was 
perpetually pregnant. Okay. Constantly. There we go. Constant pregnancies. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's really funny because my person had a lot of children but was never pregnant. Okay, who are you doing and what does she look like? I am doing Belle Gunnis, the notorious serial killer. Um, and just to give you a heads up, this story is grotesque and she is a grotesque human being. Mm. This is the way she was described um, by like a newspaper or something. Um, it was like something of the times. They said she was a fat, heavy featured woman with a big head covered with a mop of mud colored hair, <laughs> small eyes, huge hands and arms and a gross body supported by feet grotesquely small. She was around six feet tall, weighing 280 pounds, predom- uh, like predominantly muscle. This woman could lift a hog over her head. Um, she just lived a life of very hard labor. And yeah, she was just a large, like, brute woman. If anybody ever described <laughs> me like that, I would be like, I, um, I just love the, I love my favorite part of it is the grotesquely small feet. Like, but at least that's creative. Why say yes. gross? She was gross. Ew. <laughs> She's so gross. Mud colored hair. Uh, okay. Fuck you from all the brunettes. Like our hair is beautiful. Um, excuse me. Is that gross like total or gross like ew? Um, um, but yeah, but we can describe her as being hideous because she was a murderer. Oh, inside and out. Inside and out. Okay. Yeah. Bad, Perfect. bad, bad. Bad, bad person. <laughs> Great. So uh, why don't you tell me what I'm drinking to honor this bad, bad person? Okay. <laughs> so this drink is called lady bluebeard um (laughs) and i am super excited about it so i wanted to do something with guinness so it's kind of a shandy but kind of a dark shandy (laughs) um because guinness sounds like her last name gunness um so this is an ounce and a half of bourbon half ounce of grenadine half ounce of lime juice um and you put fresh blueberries in the cocktail and then you shake that up really really hard to break up the blueberries and then you top the whole thing off with guinness and garnish with two blueberries in honor of her two husbands. Oh, cheers. Mmm. Wow, that's really good. I I love this. I did not expect the lime and the Guinness to go well together. This is my first ever Guinness cocktail. Yeah, I've never had one either. I've had Guinness Ooh. beer mixes. There's mm-hmm. a lot because it floats on top because mm-hmm. it's so light. A lot of places when I, when we used to be able to go get food, <laughs> a lot of places would serve like Guinness beer mixes, but never a cocktail. Mm. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I'm I'm pretty pleased because I feel like my cocktails have been like okay recently, but uh-huh. I feel like this one is my best one for in a couple weeks. So yeah, I'm I'm pretty I'm, excited. I'm sad that this terrible woman has such a great cocktail. I know. I know. <laughs> Let's I could have gone that. the way you went with um, <laughs> Irma Grease, but uh, <laughs> just crap in a glass. Crap in a glass. That's um, for, all, for all the Nazis. Yeah. Just put crap in a glass. <laughs> so, Allie, what do you know about Belle Gunness? I think she was a murderer mm-hmm. of possibly her husband's mm-hmm. and then maybe she pretended to be someone she wasn't. I feel like there's some sort of, I don't know. I don't know anything about her. I just saw on the list that somebody yeah. requested her and I knew that she was a killer and you have a affinity for killers. So I, I put do. her on your list. I do. Um, and that was what made this week so fun for me because I got to listen to my favorite podcast about this, um, a podcast called Last Podcast on the Left. They are three guys who are true crime savants. Marcus Parks it does all the research, and Henry, Henry Zabrowski also does some, but Marcus Parks is like, 
he does such fantastic research. Like this woman's Wikipedia page is fairly short. And this story I'm about to tell you is very long because they did like two hour and a half episodes on her. Wow. And like no one else just had theirs because they read like a couple books on her, which is really where the meat of every information is. We just don't have time to read books every yeah. week. Um, so anyways, I am really excited to bring this to you. So thank you to Marcus Parks and last podcast and left for all the research that you did. And um, who requested this? Sazzle 42. <gasps> Ooh. So thank you so much. This was right up my alley. Um, but again, just a warning to all I'm people. I'm your alley. I, <laughs> I do that to people all the my time. My back alley. <laughs> um, so if you are not like Sazzle 42, apparently, and I, um, take care when listening. Because this story is going to get disgusting for a bit. Um, okay. And if you just want to listen to my, if this is going to trigger you and you just want to skip ahead, go to about an hour in. Yeah. Yeah. So you'll know because there'll be a drink break. <laughs> okay. So Brynhild Paulsdotter Storstedt was born on November 11th, 1859 in Silbu, Norway. Ooh. So that's her real name. She, her name literally means Paul's daughter on store set, which um, was the family farm. So it's a very literal name. Very Norwegian. <laughs> yes. Very Norwegian. Um, So not much is known about her early life because there really just wasn't too much to talk about. She was a simple Norwegian farm girl living her life with her parents and six siblings. Mm. Uh, her family was extremely poor, uh, which Belle felt did not suit her. <laughs> uh, she just wanted to escape her impoverished family <laughs> actually she didn't want to she like needed to she was like i am meant for better things and she just hated that she couldn't buy nice things and she especially hated that she was relentlessly teased in the neighborhood um she was given the name snurkvis paula which translate <laughs> translates in, into paul's twig daughter oh. um sick burn everybody um <laughs> because it was her job to pick up twigs around the woods to like heat their home and cook and everybody's like you don't get it delivered um so anyways um, your air jordans are dirty <laughs> um we have logs <laughs> what are you doing heating your home with twigs um there are a lot of stories that we could tell like really just tall tales about young bell gunness um but a lot of them aren't true um because when her like everyone who like knew her really well in the town was like yeah that was just bell was just a normal person but then once her stories of crime started coming out people were like ah and then she got pregnant and then the man like forced her to have a miscarriage and like this other things that like no one has any proof of so people started like attributing stories to her past to make what she did seem like there was a reason for it. Yeah. And just okay. to be like, yeah, I knew her and we all knew that she was going to be like a serial killer. We we're like, oh my gosh, like Paul's twig daughter. Absolutely. She's crazy. Mm. Um, but I mean, most of them weren't true. Um, <laughs> but what we do know is that she really wanted to go to America and that life raft came in the form of her older sister, Nellie. So Nellie had married an American a few years back and she started a new life in the States and she thought that it was high time for her sister to get out of Norway and into Chicago, Illinois, where they had a booming, like, Norwegian, Swedish, like, you know, like, what do you call that? Cultural region. Yes, cultural region. Um, And so she goes there. Uh, her name is Americanized on arrival. So Brynhild Palsdotter Storset um, becomes Bella Peterson. It's <laughs> <laughs> not even close. <laughs> Bella and Peterson. Bella Peterson and her new life had officially begun. 
Once in Chicago, she found work like most immigrant women doing various house cleaning jobs, cooking, cleaning, sewing, laundry. This girl could do it all. And what years is this in America that she's living in? Um, she is in like the 1870s right now, like 1870s. 80s. OK, so this is quite a bit ago. Yes. Yes. Okay. This is late 1800s. And uh, the story ends around like between like 1908 and 1910. So okay. this is like a. Yeah, that's the area we're in. Um, but Belle didn't come to America just to do what she was doing back home. She wanted money. And Nellie said that she was like insane about it, like l- trying to get money consumed her whole life life and it, like she, that's how she picked men she wouldn't even talk to a guy she was like you're not going to provide me a comfortable life um so she did end up finding a guy he wasn't super wealthy but he was comfortable um he was a night watchman she was a middle class store. digger she was mm-hmm. <laughs> she was like that is just a step on my ladder <laughs> um so she found her first husband a night watchman at a department store by the name of mads diltoff anton Sorensen. um and, I mean, he was an average earner, but it was enough to get Belle started. They were married within a year of Belle arriving in Chicago. And very soon after they were married, Nellie said that her focus shifted from money to having lots of children. Like, Belle was a very focused person. So, like, if she had a goal, she was going to get it. So, like, she was like, okay, I want money, but first I need a husband. She got the husband. And then she's like, okay, now I need kids. So that's her main goal right now. She's following the true woman trajectory. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Belle was unfortunately unable to have children. And her anger at that fact just totally consumed her. And it ended up ruining her relationship with Nellie. Because Nellie had already had five kids by Aww. that time. Um, and Belle just didn't understand why Nellie wouldn't just give one of her kids to Belle. Ah! And then, like, when her nieces and nephews would come to visit Auntie Belle, she, like, wouldn't give them back. Like, people would be, like, banging down the door, like, give her back. Like, (laughs) that's absurd. Like, I do understand that there is, like, I'm sure that especially back then, it just feels like such an attack on your womanhood, like, Mm -hmm. to not be able to have kids. But then at the same, if you want them. Yeah. But then at the same time, it's like, you can't just fucking steal somebody else's kids. No. And you can't just ask for him either. You can't. And it just reminds me of like the scene in Friends when Phoebe's like, I just want to keep one of the triplets. And it's like, yeah, but they're not your kids. Right. Like, you know, it's just like this thing where like she just was like, I don't understand why you can't do this. And Nellie's like, because they're my fucking children. And then it was <laughs> Belle who was like, well, I'm not talking to you anymore. Ooh. And Belle just cut off ties with Nellie because she wouldn't give her one of her kids. It reminds me of Mean Girls when she's like, oh my God, Gretchen, you can't just ask I people <laughs> for their kids. <laughs> um, but Belle was not going to be deterred. And at some point, she just shows up with a baby. She gets a baby. The way Belle tells it, of course, she's like the hero of the story. She goes, well, I was standing watch at a dying mother's bedside when she put her infant daughter, Jenny, into, the, into my arms. And she said with her last breath, Promise to take care of my baby girl. Now, I don't think Belle killed this woman. I think that this woman actually did die in childbirth. But I do think that Belle exaggerated the story to get the baby because there is a father involved in this story. So wait, though, is Belle like a a nursemaid? Is she like doing midwifery? I don't think so. I don't know how she and I again. Well, if she's a maid, she could have just been at someone's house. She could have just been at someone's house. Fair. 
Um, that's crazy. Yeah. And the husband was like super distraught. Like he didn't know what was going on. And then like, like, you know, they had the funeral, they buried the wife. And then like, he like kind of gets his senses back and he goes, Oh my God, my baby, where the fuck is my baby? (laughs) And he goes to Belle Gunness and she's like, it's my baby now. This is Ginny, which that is can't not be the legal. name that she was born with. And uh, they went to court and Belle won custody. Why? Because she was a woman? Uh, yeah, I guess. Oh I don't God. know. It's like, so weird. That is so crazy. So, um, so now, <laughs> now that she has her baby, she's like, okay, got the husband, got the baby. Now I want to get that money. So it's 1884 and she and her husband buy a candy and cigarette store. Um, but because Belle isn't the sweetest dame on the block, people don't particular like, particularly like buying candy from her. <laughs> yeah, I feel like a candy shop owner, you have to be in one of those red and white striped outfits and like look really cute and be uh-huh. like sweet, sweet yeah, like candy. Like, be like nice to kids and not like be like trying to steal them all the time. Like bubble pop. You have to exactly. be bubble pop. Yeah. So um, after she realized that this was kind of a dead end, she decided to pull a classic crime move and she burned the place down. Ooh, insurance fraud. Mm -hmm. And she goes, oh, uh, a kerosene lamp exploded and burned the place down while me and my baby were inside and we got out just in the nick of time. And the fire marshals are going, there's no broken glass in this place. Like that didn't happen. But... Belle was really good at insurance fraud and she just played the hysterical woman and she was like weeping and wailing and they were like, okay, fine. And she got the insurance money and she was very pleased with how easy the whole darn thing was. (sighs) And then she's like, well, I'm on a real hot streak. So I got my money. I'm going to get some more children. And she proceeded to collect four more children over the next two years. From just other people? We don't know. Okay. We don't know. Four more children show up in the Gunness household and no one has seen Belle pregnant once. And I mean, like, is she just taking the kids or is she killing the mothers? We have no idea. But she claimed that they were biologically hers, which was absolutely impossible because it was within two years so it had it would have had to be two sets of twins Mm -hmm. and uh, it just again no one saw her pregnant like it just the whole thing like was really crazy and the thing was bell is not the best mom and uh, what would become a trend um two of these kids that she again most likely stole didn't make it past infancy (gasps) now childhood like children dying was common back then but like her it happens a lot to her like more than normal so Um, neglect neglect neglect. is an issue yes and she goes from having like one to five back to three so i don't know but then the family took a big hit when they ended up falling for an alaskan mining scam and losing like all the money that they made in that insurance Mm. fraud um Mm -hmm. i really wish i knew more about that um but bell was like all right we're gonna have to commit insurance fraud yet again to get out of this bind yeah Um, but i bet i mean it was very shortly she was in america very shortly after like the california 49ers yeah so Mm -hmm. like mining things were like 
Oh, yeah. All the rage. Oh, yeah. And there is a gold digger, like an actual like Klondike gold digger featured later on in the story. Okay. So um, this time she only burned down part of the house and they got around $650. Um, Now, you think that if you had a wife with a pension for insurance fraud and stealing children, um, you as the husband of said wife would want to stay away from having a life insurance policy. (laughs) Um, But unfortunately for our good friend Mads, he had a $2,000 policy that was set to expire in July, 1900. (sighs) So this is expiring, but he didn't want to be irresponsible so he was like, well, what if I die the day after this expires? And then my wife is left with nothing. So he takes out another life insurance policy out for $3,000, which would begin the day before the first policy ended. Oh, so then there's two. That equals $5,000. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then one fateful day, July 30th, 1900. I mean, this was just not a good day for Matt's because... If he dies on this particular day, Belle gets $5,000. She gets both insurance claims. Yo, you need to go like sit your ass at a police station for the whole day. And do you want to know how much that is in today's money? Uh, wait, let's think. Okay. $5,000. I'm going to say 1000 was probably about 10000 so $50,000. $150,000. Woo! I was way off. You were way off. I was way <laughs> low. <laughs> So, of course, um, on July 30th, 1900, Mads came home with a terrible headache. So Belle did what every good wife would do. She gave him some quinine and sent him off to bed. But unfortunately, when she went to wake him up for dinner, he was dead. She calls the people. They come in and they're like, uh, he has a lot of morphine in his system. Poison. And she goes, ah. the pharmacist, the pharmacist must have switched them up. That darn pharmacist, what an idiot. And they just buy it. She must have been a great she liar. She must have been a great, I don't understand. She's not that attractive. So, like, I don't understand how she's doing Had this. to be a good liar. There's no, just, qu- there's no question. Oh, just a classic pharmaceutical mix-em-up that ended up in death. Like, I think women, women back then, too, were very, like, swoony. Yes. They're like, oh, No, they totally were. Um, and, of course, yeah. The by necessity, came, they but bought not it. by choice. No, and Belle got away with murder on her first official run. <laughs> her first official run. We don't know what she was doing before this. Right, right, right. She may have killed multiple mothers she with morphine. She may have killed multiple mothers. Um, so shortly after this, she decides that her and the kids should go back to her Norway roots and buy a farm. She's like, you know what? I think I need a farm. So she posts an ad in the newspaper, and she ends up buying a farm in the town of Laporte, Indiana. Now... This is like just a little outside Chicago. Um, This farm had quite a colorful history. It was originally built for the founder of Laporte's daughter, who was actually run out of town for um, supporting the Confederacy in the Civil War. Then it belonged to an outlaw who was murdered for gambling debts. Um, And then it was a hop and brothel for just a little bit. Um, Because everyone knows you're less likely to get caught cheating on your wife just outside of Chicago rather than the metropolitan center. Okay. Um, Fair. The brothel was actually super successful um, until the lady who ran the brothel suddenly died. Well, third time's a charm. um, Because she was poisoned by her sister who ran a competing brothel. (laughs) I want to do them. Who are these girls? You poison. Excuse me, your brothel's better than mine. I would like you to come and have a drink with what? me. What? 
poison time. Well, I mean, come on. Listen, there are enough people that want to go to brothels. Yeah. That this world's big enough for the both of us. So Belle shows up and she's like, mm-hmm, sex and murder, you say? I'd love to raise my stolen family here. <laughs> so <laughs> um, she sets up her new home, renaming it Abattoir Acres. Um, and renaming herself Belle Gunnis after marrying this guy <laughs> named Peter Gunnis. Um, so he was a former boarder. So he used to live with her and her husband. Um, but he got married and had kids. Um, he had his first baby and then his wife died in childbirth with the second baby. Um, with I don't think any help from Belle. I think Belle was not involved in that. <laughs> Yeah, but, like, he lived there. Does he know that she's murdered her husband? I think he was, like, out of the house by then. So I don't think he was really caught up in what Belle was up to. Um, So, again, like, his wife dies, and he sees a good opportunity with this widow with a brand-new farm. So he moved with his two daughters to LaPorte, Indiana, to start a new life with Belle. Shortly after their arrival, though, um, tragedy struck the new blended family when the seven-month-old baby suddenly passed away. Oh, so now there are three children dead in Bell's wake. Um, again, we're in the early 1900s. Survival rate for children is not the best, but Peter has a bad feeling about all this. And then, just six months after this, Jenny, Bell's oldest child runs to the neighbor's house to get some help for Peter because he has burned himself really badly. So the neighbors rush over to help Peter. Um, but all they found was a dead, bloody body on the floor. <gasps> what? Yeah. He's not burned. <laughs> He's not burned at all. So we, no. did mom say to go? I don't know. I don't know exactly what happened here. But Peter is dead on the floor. He's face down. His nose is like completely shattered. And he has a huge gaping wound in the back of his head. Um, and then there's just hysterical Belle Gunnis tr- crying over the body of poor Peter. What was his life insurance policy? <laughs> <laughs> so according to Belle, while Peter was leaning down to grab his shoes from next to the stove to keep him warm, um, the family meat grinder somehow fell off the shelf <laughs> and hit him in the back of the head. No, it didn't. <laughs> She's a liar. She's a liar. <gasps> and, and they're like, well... Your daughter said he got burned. She goes, oh, yeah, I'm so sorry. I forgot. There was a big pot of boiling beef broth on the on the stove. That must have been the burns. That must have been why, he, you know, she said he was burned. Um, and she was like, and then, <laughs> and then they said, uh, OK, so what happened next? And she goes, well, he like he wasn't dead then. He got up. You know, I helped him with his burns and he laid down. And then a couple hours later, he was just dead on the floor. You know, this pe- these people have never seen an episode of CSI. Never. Not even once. Because, again, he had no burns on his body. So they're like, but he's not even burned. She goes, oh, that's because I, I make a really good salve. Give me some. She, and they're like, to heal it in like an hour? And she goes, it's really good. It's Norwegian. I mean, maybe just say my daughter was confused. Right. Like, that's yeah. a much easier lie. <laughs> right. um, as fishy as it all was, there was just no hard evidence to point them towards murder. And it was super impolite to accuse a grieving widow of murder in the Midwest. So Belle gets <laughs> away with husband murder number two and potentially total murder number five. If she we think she murdered the children. Um, thankfully, the elder Gunnis daughter was uh, taken away by her uncle after Peter's death. He was like, I am not leaving that girl in the house alone with you. And also, so wait, wait, wait. She may have murdered the young children? 
that's what a lot via of people neglect think. or via like she shook them when they cried too much maybe type or maybe thing. poison some people think she poisoned them. oh wow yeah really really sad um so but now she's back down to three kids and that's not really ideal um so then miraculously bell has another child <laughs> this time though she kept up the ruse a little more and actually called a midwife to her home to have a fake labor yes but when the midwife got there, she was like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. You know what? You missed it. She gets there and Belle is doing the laundry. She's chasing pigs around the farm. She's taking care of the baby that was fully clean, dressed and pretty large. It's like in a sitcom when pretty a six-month-old baby yeah. is like, I just had this baby. It's like <laughs> that baby's 10 months old. You would have died. <laughs> um, yeah, this baby's fairly large. And um, yeah. This is not her child. So, oh my God. And when the midwife was like, okay, um, well, how are you doing farm chores literally hours after giving birth? She goes, you know what? It's a European thing. I make a good salt. It's a Euro- <laughs> it's, it's, I make a really good vagina salve. And I, it's, it's European. It's European. What do you want me to say? I'm European. Um, so... <laughs> Everything's fine. Um, Descended from Vikings, this woman (laughs) is. Two years pass, and Belle is just doing her thing, trying to keep the farm running by herself. And the only nefarious thing during this time period is she's letting her cows loose and then holding some of her neighbor's cows hostage for a dollar. But other than that, smooth sailing. I've been waiting to hear about that cow (laughs) hostage all day. (laughs) The great cow hostage of 1901. (laughs) Um, Then after a few years, she is realizing that she really needs some help on the farm. So she puts an ad in the local Swedish newspaper that she's looking for a farmhand. Don't that go. <laughs> and that is how 30-year-old Olaf found himself in the dangerous hands of Bell Gunnis with his entire life savings of $600 in his pocket and no chance in hell of surviving. I tried so hard to come up with a frozen joke. <sighs> I and know. it was skipping my... I know. Yeah. So just about two months after his arrival... There was a letter on its way to Olaf's father saying that he had found a nice girl to marry. And then Belle's chatting up her neighbor about how Olaf had run off to the World's Fair in St. Louis because we know everybody was there as for per episode last week. Every single person we've <laughs> He's done. He's getting a tattoo from Maud and Gus Wagner. Oh, my gosh. Um, and then she told someone else, she goes, you know what? Olaf went back to Norway. The king of Norway got a new crown and he just had to see it. That was an actual lie she told people. He went to go see the new crown of the king of Norway. Hmm. Oh, you want to know another fact I learned this week about what? the St. Louis World Fair? St. Louis World Fair. Uh, it was the first time they ever served PBR. Hmm. So he could have run off not for a woman, but to drink a brand new That's beer. Because I have to get one of those PBRs. <laughs> I gotta go. <laughs> and then get a tattoo from Maud yeah. Wagner. <laughs> um. So, really, Olaf was not living it up in any of these places. He was already dead in the ground. Bell had hacked him up, chopped up his body, put him in, put him in the ground. Was he later found? Is that how we know? Yes. Okay. Then shortly after this, a new farmhand came to town, Henry, and he came to, to the farm to work, seeing the same ad that attracted Olaf. And just three months later, she's making the rounds again to her neighbors saying how her brand new farmhand just up and left. And this would be a horrific pattern for the next few years. But she's like mostly a man murderer. Yes. This she, seems rare. Is, is this rare? Um, I mean, 
It depends on the motive. So I do think that she was a serial killer. But the thing is, she is targeting like Nordic men because they don't have a lot of ties to people because they're immigrants. Okay. So she's like, come work on my farm. And then by the time, like their whole family is pretty much always back in like Norway or Sweden or Switzerland or something. And like nobody really realizes that they're gone. I mean, is she killing them because she likes killing or... No, we'll, uh, we're good there. We okay. will get into I see, it. I see, I see. <laughs> Is she eating their bodies? No, she's not. Thank okay. goodness. Not a cannibal. Um, not that we know of. Um, she's feeding it to her children. <laughs> she's red wedding. Wedding. Um, so one of these personal ads said, cause she did revise the ad a little bit to be, um, a little more romantic because she was also a little lonely in the bed. So if she could have sex and kill someone. She was having a pretty good day. Mm. Um, personal ad. Comely widow, which comely meant like very attractive, who owns a large farm in one of the finest districts in Laporte County, Indiana, desires to make the acquaintance of a gentleman equally well provided with the view of joining fortunes. She's catfishing. With the view of joining <laughs> fortunes. Oh, no replies by letter considered unless sender is willing to follow answer with a personal visit. Triflers need not apply. A.K.A. I don't want no scrubs. Don't be trifling. So I cannot believe that <laughs> triflers need not apply. It's unbelievable. Um, Cause the whole thing was in these letters, as we'll get to in a little bit, she would be like, you have to come with your life savings because we're good. We might get married. Cause she like, once the letters started, she would like romance them and she'd be like, well, yeah, but I'm really lonely. My husband died. And then they'd be like, oh, shit, I could marry this woman, and, like be the co-owner of this farm. That's really good. But she was like, but you also have to bring your entire life savings with you. So she is making a ton of money this way. OK, wow. So and again, these mo- these ads, mind you, were all in Norwegian in like, you know, Norwegian, Swedish, whatever papers. So regular authorities wouldn't really be paying attention to the fact that the same woman has been continuously looking for farmhands and husbands for years. And according to the mailman, she had no less than 10 letters a day in response asking about the job and the potential wife, because, again, not only is she like offering a job, but a house with a single woman who might be looking for a good time. A brothel, per se. It is a slam dunk. Like, they're like, oh, my God, this could really change my life. Um, And the other really crucial part of this scheme is the letters, because she is being very romantic in them. And, uh, like, one man in particular, Ola Budsberg, he was an older gentleman with a good bit of money, and he left his two adult sons, and he went off to Laporte to marry a rich widow, because that's what... The correspondence always led to, which is like we could get married and join fortunes and live a happy life together. Um, But he only showed up with half his fucking money. Why the hell would he do that? So Belle made him go back to his hometown with her. She accompanied him. She walked into the bank (laughs) and waited for him to get the money. Yeah. And double checked with the teller. She goes, and that's all of it, correct? And he was like, yep. So... (laughs) He also refinanced his land inside the signed the deed over to Bell. And of course, shortly after their return to the farm, Ola was dead. Did she have a way with words? She must she, have had a way yeah. with words. I'm so mm-hmm. confused at this because earlier you described her as gross. She's disgusting. Okay. Yeah. But again, she, you're, you're right. She's literally 
1800s catfishing these people. Okay. Now, because she's getting up to around a dozen men by this point, I haven't named them all because they're like some, some we don't have the names of, but, and like, there's just too many of them. But she knew she couldn't keep just like, you know, quote unquote, hiring men who would just run away. So because they were all Norwegians, they w- she would be like, oh, they're my cousins. They're coming to visit. And that's why they didn't stay too long. And again, no one is saying anything when all these cousins are leaving town without their shit. <laughs> They'd be like, well, they did come in with like a couple trunks and I didn't see anyone leave, you know, on a wagon. So like that's that's kind of weird. Um so then the question is, what is she doing with all of these trunks? Um, she had a whole room set aside in her house for men's trunks and clothes and belongings. Um, right. A walk-in trunk room. We all yeah, have one of those. We all have one. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is actually what I named the drink of uh, after. She got the name Lady Bluebeard because some of the men would enter the room and see like a dozen men's trunks and clothes and watches. She loved watches and they would be like, Oh my God. And they would like realize that like, she's going to kill them and then she would kill them. <laughs> what? I mean, can she chase you down? Like run away. She's very strong and sneaky and sneaky. sneaky. And she has those small feet. Um, <laughs> she can t- she's got those grotesquely small feet. Sneaky, sneaky. But I just, cause I like, did you ever read the story of Bluebeard when you were a kid? Yeah. Oh my God. I just like that scene where like the girl goes in and like all the previous wives are just like hanging in the room. Like, oh like, my God. <gasps> um, so, uh, we don't know for sure, but people have estimated the body count of just these types of men, the, the travelers, to be around 15. <gasps> um, but it could be up to 40. <laughs> well, damn. Damn. So, now, how was she killing them? What was her preferred method? Uh, well, it varied, but Belle's preferred method was straight-up face-to-face stabbings and hackings um, after she would weaken them with an arsenic-laced orange. Um, we know this from the defense wounds that's on some of their bodies and the arsenic found in their stomachs. Um, and what about the bodies? Where were they? Uh, well, Belle had dug or had actual farm hands um, dig multiple pits in her hog pen. And after chopping them up, she'd wrap the pieces in burlap and bury them in the pen. Well, I learned from the movie Snatch that <laughs> pigs could just eat them. They could. And I don't know why she didn't do just that. feed it to the pigs. They can eat bones. She has a ton of pigs. So, yeah, she never, maybe she just didn't know that they did that. I don't know. Sazzle underscore 42. You have are you a sick Snatch? person. And I love you. I love you. No, yeah. Have you seen Snatch? That's my um, question to it's you. It's a very good You movie. can message me on Instagram. <laughs> um... And when the pits started getting full, she would then um, throw them in the privy vault, which was the um, place under the outhouse. Huh. So it's like throwing them down a poor potty. Yes. Okay. Um, but then the bodies just took up too much space, and then she had to move the outhouse. Um, and then and she put them <laughs> in her... More holes. Okay. More holes. More holes. Um, Got it. So in her composter, she is killing a lot of these men. And again, I like we just don't even know the details of all of them because there were so many like to get really into. Um, But then she makes a weird move and she moves in on her own family. And in 1906, she murdered her first adopted or stolen child, whatever you want to call her. Poor 16 year old Ginny Gunnis. And to be honest, I thought Ginny was going to be safe. I know. 
And to be honest, like nobody really knows why. Like there was no like this wasn't part of her M.O. Her children were like, actually, well, we don't really know because something happens to them later, which is terrible. But basically, like, you know, all their teachers were like, yeah, like none of them were ever like beaten or like showed any signs of that. Like Belle was like a really nice mom to them. Mm. Um, And so like it like I think she liked killing babies, but like. It was weird that she killed Jenny. I mean, maybe Jenny was going to tell. Maybe her and Jenny got in a fight and Jenny was mm-hmm. like, listen, stop fucking murdering people, mom. That is the reigning theory. It's the only plausible thing in my mind that Jenny walked into the fucking She's- trunk room and was like, what the hell? I mean, Jenny might have been witnessing it for years and just got old enough to be like, I'm going to speak out about this. Yeah. No, absolutely. Because that's like the craziest part about this. She has four kids at home right right now. She has four children. I don't know how she had like people talk about moms like, you know, who do it all. She's really doing it all. She's doing a lot. Yeah, I don't understand. Um, I don't know how she had the time or the discreetness to kill and bury 15 men. I'll tell you how. There was no internet. That's true. <laughs> there was nothing to keep her. Her kids weren't like yeah. accidentally getting parts of dead bodies in the back of their selfies. That's true. No, in- no Instagram. No wasted time. Uh huh. Um, we love you, Instagram. We love you. Uh, but of course, she didn't kill every man that walked through the door. That would be too suspicious. Um, so this is where Mr. Ray Lamphere comes in. So Ray had a is couple- Ray skeezy. Ray's a skeezy name. Ray's a little skeezy. <laughs> Ray, though, he had a couple things going for him that meant he probably wasn't going to get murdered. Number one, he was a local, and Belle made damn sure to not kill any locals because she didn't want to raise any suspicion. Smart. Two, he was an all right farmhand, and she really did need someone to help her take care of the land. Hmm. And three. He was a real fucking idiot who just, like, didn't give a hoot what was going on around him. As long as he had enough money for booze and gambling and a couple ladies of the night, he was good. That's my kind of guy. Now, of course, Belle just didn't care what he did with his money as long as he kept the farm in working order and gave her a little tender love and care whenever she demanded because they were on and off lovers. Oh, fun. Yeah. Employee with benefits. That's and, not rape or anything. Know, he <laughs> is just love and life. <laughs> he would literally brag around town that he was banging the widow Gunnis. And no. One, mm-hmm, and he's like, one day I'm going to marry her and be the master of that farm. And everything is right on track for him to do that. Um, I mean, he did get a little jealous because he was like, well, I mean, whenever these guys come into town, I feel like, you know, I'm not in the bed with you anymore. Um, and then they just disappear, leaving you high and dry. Belle, why do you let them do that to you? <laughs> Girl, you're worth more than that. <laughs> is that, a, is that what Ray said? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Over a nice Chianti. Okay. I see. Um, so everything's right on track until a new man strolls into Laporte, Andrew Helgeline. He, of course, answered the ad like all the others did, um, and he arrived on Bell's farm looking for a new life after they had been exchanging letters for 18 months. Whoa. He was a little harder. He was a harder fish to snag than the other ones. Oh, he wanted to really check. He really did. And she really laid it on thick in these letters, making them extra romantic, saying things like, oh, I can't wait until I'm in your embrace. And you know what else would be super romantic? If you didn't tell anyone, not even your family, that you're coming to be with me. <laughs> and you know what would get me really turned on? If you sold everything you owned and brought every last dollar with you and carefully sewed most of the cash into your underwear. She is These are not. Things that she, she's 
hiding. <laughs> she is not hiding what she's this doing. This is insane. <laughs> so, um, he basically he so he came and he did bring um some money with him, but it was mostly in cash certificates, um. And it was actually only half of his money, but she was like, whatever, I just need the money now. Um, and so she's like, all right, we need to go to the bank to get these cash certificates done. But then they tell her like, well, this is going to take like two weeks. And she's like, what the fuck? Like men didn't even last two weeks. Like two weeks was really fucking long at this point. Cause we know the first couple lasts a couple months, but as soon as she was like, okay, you know, you just got here, you're getting the hacksaw. Like, she was not fucking around by this and point. I mean, she's written letters to this guy for 18 months, and 18 now she doesn't even months. want to hang with him she for d- two weeks? Two weeks. It's so crazy. That's bizarre. Um, but the two weeks passed, and on January 14th, Belle finally received the $2,839 she had been waiting for, and she set her plan in motion to kill Andrew. As usual, she sent Ray out for the day on errands so he wouldn't be around. Um, And then she brutally attacked Andrew almost immediately. Because at this point, she's, like, irritated. She's like, I have been with you for two weeks, which is two weeks too long. And this one is, like, really vicious. And she throws him in the yard all before Ray returns later that night. And with that murder, she had brought her total crime earnings, including the insurance scams and stuff from the past seven years, up to around $1.2 million in today's money. Whoa! (laughs) That's insane! But when you get up around that kind of crime in the world and whatever, you start to get a little sloppy. And Andrew, unlike many of the other men, not only left people who cared about him and worried about him after he just disappeared, but he also left a shit ton of evidence. (laughs) 18 months worth of letters between him and a woman named Belle Gunnis like telling him to bring all of his money to LaPorte, Indiana. Like an address, a name. Yes, <laughs> She's like, every little last detail. By the way, my social security number yeah. is. <laughs> I just, that's insane. It's Listen, you, she got too comfortable. She got she too did. comfortable. No, that's the thing. When like, when serial killers go for too long, they start like, oh my gosh, Ted Bundy has this insane quote. He goes, and then you're just like, where'd I put the wrench? Like, you know, <laughs> just horrible and shouldn't that's not it's funny just, i know i'm laughing but I it's know. not funny <laughs> but it's so like he talks about it so casually because then it just becomes like oh yeah i mean i've gotten away with 10 murders so far so like what's another one like right. how many people like that are living right now so many oh my gosh so many um so andrew's brother azel starts writing bell <laughs> he's like hey uh, do you know where my brother is? Because, you know, according to his letters, he went to see you. And she goes, you know what? I'd like to know that as well. That scumbag left me high and dry here out on the farm. So she's writing Azel and being like, your brother's the worst. He abandoned me. God, she loves the fucking gas. Uh, she's great. Um, So she tries to sell this guy on the idea that his brother ran off to like, she goes, I don't know, New York or California or something. Um, and so she's writing letters to him and then she's also dealing with Ray who is very upset because when Andrew came to town, he was kicked out hard. Like she was like, you can't even sleep in the house anymore. And he had to go like sleep on a, you know, straw bed in the for barn two weeks. <laughs> for two weeks. And He's like, you know, I don't really like that you just keep, you know, messing around with all these guys. And here's old Ray over here just trying to be nice. And da 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 
Like, and I'm she's picturing just, Ray like, like one of the guys from Wizard of Oz. I know. Like, <laughs> Um, and like Bell is like, okay, you're so fucking annoying. And she just fires him all together and she replaces him with a guy named Joe. Hmm. Um, but this only made Ray more upset. So he starts hanging around on the farm, just yelling all day, like super drunk about how <laughs> Bell owed him money. And so she calls the cops <laughs> to she, her house, to her house. Where okay. She has 15 bodies in the yard and trunks galore trunks galore and she gets Ray picked up for trespassing which is a dollar fine um Mm -hmm. and then after he kept coming back for months on end she goes to the courts and she gets she tries to get a signed legal document claiming that Ray is insane she tries to get him legally pronounced insane in the court That's system. That's the true mark of insanity. Yeah. <laughs> She's crazy. She's crazy. So Ray's doctor is like, ah, uh, he's totally fine. Um, and then they all go to an insanity committee. <laughs> oh, I love committee. And they're like, yeah, the guy seems okay. He's a little drunk, but that's no, that's no problem. Um, but Belle didn't stop. And she just kept trying to get this, like, to stick. So... Then she should have killed Ray when she had the chance. Yeah. Yeah, she really should have. So then she brings him to court for trespassing and stealing a fence post. Um, (laughs) But this is not a very smart thing for a serial killer to do. Because now that we're talking about, like, actual theft. The property. They have to go to court. So when it comes time for the trial, Ray's lawyer is looking into Bell Gunness and he goes, ah, I think this woman's like a serial killer. <laughs> Good lawyer. And he just like flips the whole trial and he goes, isn't it weird that um, her first two husbands died mysteriously? And isn't it weird that Jenny's in California? Uh, and isn't it weird <laughs> that she's had 15 cousins come to visit and we haven't seen any of them? Uh, this is the guy that has seen CSI. Yes. Criminal Minds and all of it. And he's like, how can we really trust this woman when people just seem to die and disappear around her at an alarming rate? And when he starts to lay things out altogether, people are like, hmm, that is a little weird. And I like to imagine that Belle is just like sitting there. She's sweating a little bit (laughs) and she's looking around and they're looking at her and she's like, okay. I think everyone knows. She's like, just keep smiling. Get out of the fucking room so you can get the hell out of the Dodge because this is not what this trial is about and they can't fucking rest you, Belle, so you better get out. Go, go, go. So she goes home and starts planning her great escape. Um, And part one of that plan was spreading the news around town that Ray wanted to kill her and her children and burn her house down. (gasps) And she always meant, and she always added at the end, and he is very capable of doing so. (laughs) And then she goes to her lawyer and she goes, I am so worried that Ray Lamphere is going to kill me and burn my house down. And he's so capable that I need to write my last will and Testament. And the guy goes, uh, okay. Um, and she goes, okay, well, I want everything to go to my daughters, my, my children, da, 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 da. And he's like, uh, (laughs) you didn't put Ginny's name on here. And she goes, it's, she's getting married to a witch guy. She doesn't need the money. No, Jenny's fine. I forgot my daughter because she's fine. And (laughs) 
<laughs> and then she goes, but just in case all of us die, um, I'd really like my money to go to like the Swedish Orphans Fund. And he's like, okay. Um, so on her way home, she buys candy and toys for the kids, a week's worth of groceries, and two gallons of kerosene. And then on April 28th, 1908, a fire broke out at the Gunnis home around 4 a.m. Twelve hours later, when the fire had finally petered out, local authorities went searching for anything or anyone they could find. First, they found the four small bodies of Bell's children. Or maybe it was three at this time, right, because Jenny said. So three bodies of Bell's children, and then they uncovered Bell's body. Whoa what they assumed to be Belle's body. It was a woman's body. Uh, they couldn't know for sure because the body did not have a head. She severed the head of somebody and then burnt it as if it was her. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, some people immediately thought uh, that can't be Belle, and she absolutely did this and framed Ray. <laughs> but the sheriff of the town said, you know what? I've got a hunch that it was Ray because Belle was absolutely frantic this week, worrying that he was going to kill her. So Ray is arrested and almost immediately charged um, for arson and murder. Oh, my God. She's the best liar. I know. But Ray had a solid alibi. He was like, I couldn't have murdered Belle. I was having sex with Elizabeth, the 70-year-old black spinster lady in town. This guy's great. He loves an older lady. Good for him. He's just into it. Good for him. And it's like, he's like... Why, why would I lie about that? Like, everyone here is racist. Like, why would I lie about sleeping with the 70-year-old black woman in town? You wouldn't. Um, and it's like, yes, that's true. People did believe him because they're like, no one would lie about that at this time. Um, and Elizabeth backed him up. She goes, yep, he was with me. Um, but then it made him less credible because people were like, well, he must be a terrible person because he had sex with a black woman. Oh, all right. So the charges stick, even though it was literally impossible for him to be there. <laughs> well, so in sickness uh, and in I, health, I, mm, um, <laughs> we need Judge Judy for this case. We really do. So they're trying to like piece together what the hell's going on, and then this guy comes into town. He goes, "Hi, my name is Azel. I'm looking for my brother Andrew and Bell Gunnis. and they go, "Ha." Well, you came at the wrong time, buddy. Bell Gunnis is dead. He was like, no, I am so sick of Bell dicking me around. I'm like <laughs> coming to Laporte. I'm seeing what's up because he was like, I'm 100 percent sure that like she killed him. And then the police are like, You're, she's dead. Like, no way. Like she did this. Like he, he was on to Bell from the get go. Listen, Azel, Azel is the one this movie needs to be about. I know. I know. Um, so they're dealing with Azel. They're dealing with this fire and Ray and everyone is just like, what the hell is going on? So Azel just goes right to the farm. He's like, I don't, nobody's helping me. I don't give a fuck. So he goes into the farm and he goes to Joe farmhand Joe. And he goes, do you happen to know if there are any like holes on the property or any like, like recently turned up ground? And he goes, huh? Well, you know, I do have a couple of hog holes over here if you want to take a look. So Azel goes over to the hog pen, starts digging, and almost immediately strikes a burlap sack, rips it open, and finds his brother. 
first try? First try. First try. Yeah. Wow. I should have gone to the casino. Am I right? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> uh, <laughs> play the double zeros on roulette. So he calls the sheriff and he's like, I fucking told you so. So they begin to dig all over the hog pen and they start finding body after body after body. And there were a lot. So this turned into a multi-day process. And by May 6th, tourists had started to come from all over Indiana and Illinois to see the now infamous Gunnis Farm. And every time a new body was unearthed, cheers and excitement would radiate through the crowd. Oh, my God. These people are crazy. But the biggest crowds of all came out. Just about 16,000 people. (gasps) When the sheriff hired a prospector named Old Klondike to find Bell's head because he's like, all right, we need to find this head to make sure that it's Bell. And Bell had this really easily identifiable gold bridge work in her teeth. In right? her, yeah, in her mouth. So he was like, she's got some iconic gold teeth. So he brings out old Klondike on what happened to be a Sunday. So the whole event turned into a carnival, like a nice church picnic where guys search for the severed head guys were selling popcorn lemonade and they were selling postcards with a photo of andrew's cadaver (laughs) prospector klondike and the search for the severed head it's unbelievable and they had also like because they were finding so many bodies they had turned her like horse and buggy like carriage or whatever like her barn into like a makeshift morgue and they were selling tours to look at all the corpses. And the suitcase room. <laughs> In the suitcase <laughs> That's burnt room. down. <laughs> um, people were treating the excavated graves like carnival games. They're jumping in and out of them and playing in them. One young girl even bought a dead dog from a man who claimed that Belle Gunnis had killed it herself. And I'd like to point all this out because... An interest in true crime is not even close to being a a new thing. People always like to say, like, well, like, what is it about millennials that they're so into true crime? It's like, are you fucking kidding me? You have a, like, a 14-year-old girl buying a dead dog from a stranger because she thinks Bell Gunnis might have killed it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then, like, People love it. The sheriff tries to close down the barn morgue, and it people were so angry (laughs) that they're like literally banging at the locks and like trying to like stand on each other's shoulders just to get a peek in through the windows. It's insanity. Um, Old Klondike didn't come up with the teeth, um, but he did find a lot of men's watches, which Bell kept his trophies. Um, And then to add on to the mounding pile of bullshit, the guy in charge of Bell's autopsy came in, to the conclusion that the headless body couldn't possibly be Bell's because as I said, she's like six feet tall and 280 pounds. And this person was no taller than five, two and like one eighty. So Bell's just gone. Yeah. But after almost a month of searching, someone did finally find one of Bell's teeth. And because no one thought a woman was capable of pulling out one of her own teeth, which I think she's definitely capable of. Mm-hmm. She was officially declared dead. And Ray Lamphere is charged with the murder of Belle and her children and Andrew Helgeley. And they're like, I'll just throw him in. So he has this horrible, lengthy trial. Um, thankfully, the only charge that stuck was arson. So he's sentenced to two years in prison. But he dies of tuberculosis and a brain hemorrhage like 
weeks after the trial ends. That's bullshit. That's crazy. Horrible. Um, now everyone has their own theories on what exactly happened to Belle Gunnis, but the general consensus is that she staged the whole thing and absolutely got away with somewhere between 14 and 40 murders. She sure did. Now, over the next few decades, Belle kind of made out like Elvis and Tupac and people were like, I saw Belle Gunnis at the grocery store today. Um, none of them really had any merit until around 25 years later. When a woman named Esther, a Norwegian, or uh, I would say uh, Scandinavian, that's what I've been looking for this whole time, uh, named Esther. She's working as a housekeeper in Chicago, and she is arrested for killing a man with arsenic who she had just happened to open up a joint bank account with. <laughs> oh, it's her! The woman looked a hell of a lot like Belle. She was about the same age, and when they searched her belongings, they found a photo of young children that matched the description of the Gunnis children. Esther, of course, denied the allegation. She was like, of course I'm not Belle. I'm not even Norwegian. I'm Swedish. <laughs> Same. Sorry, everybody in Scandinavia. Um, but before they could get an answer or a conviction for the murder, Esther passed away. Now, this was a mystery for a long time, and everyone was convinced that it was Belle. Um, but in 2014, someone did uncover evidence of an Esther Carlson actually existing at the same time as Belle. So it turns out they were not the same person. Oh, man. I know. But that's as much as we know. Her, she just left. She just left. Her wow. infamous farm is actually still intact and apparently very haunted. Um, probably has something to do with the fact that the body hog pit has now been turned into a dirt bike track for oh. teenagers. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, Belle Gunnis will go down as one of the worst serial killers in general. And like, I'm going to say females, like not just for female, like she's one of the worst. She oh, killed that's so many terrible. People. I can't believe I don't know more about her. I know. Why aren't people more obsessed with this story? I don't know. Cause she's a woman. That's why she's a woman. Um, and yeah, she'll go down as a monster of Norway and America. And okay. I, I firmly believe that she got away. I, I, I bet she did. Yeah. So that's the story of Valganis. <laughs> wow, Sazzle, thank you. That was thank you, Sazzle. That was a crazy story. That really was a crazy story, and um, I liked it. <laughs> I liked it. It was did good. It pique your interest. It did pique my interest. Uh, so we're gonna go make more drinks, and we'll be right back. All right, bye. Goodbye. We are back for part two of this episode. <laughs> I'm pretty excited about this one. Um, I, I hope that you're excited to find out what you're about to drink. Uh, no, I hate it. I want, I just don't, <laughs> I want don't want to know. I don't want anything to do with, to do with this cocktail alley. We haven't done like a Mason jar in a bit. No, we haven't. So you know how your drink was kind of a shandy? Yes. This is kind of a sangria. Ooh, <laughs> we got a dark shandy and a dark sangria. Exactly. Oh my gosh. They are at a bar in Mexico right now. Together. Just saying 
fuck you, COVID, and getting <laughs> everyone sick. Don't do that. <laughs> dark Shandy and Dark Sangria, they are super spreaders for sure. Yeah. They are on spring break and <laughs> they don't spreader. care. Super, super spreader. <laughs> uh, so this drink is called The Art of Living because Ooh. somebody was talking about Lillian Gilbert and said that she is skilled at the art of living. I love that. Very cool. So it's got a lot of shit in it. Okay. I just piled it on uh, and I made it in a batch and then put it in the fridge ahead of time. So it is red wine, orange juice, apple juice, cranberry mm. juice, grape juice, blueberries, lime slices, and peanut butter whiskey. <laughs> okay. Because in- <laughs> ingredients are cheaper by the dozen. Yes, they are. Cheers. Cheers. Very interesting. Isn't that peanut butter risky cool? It's risky cool. I like that. Yes. I do like it. Um, that's nice. Yeah. And it's funny because so the peanut butter whiskey was like not an intention of mine. Producer went to the liquor store and was like, look at this cool bottle of whiskey I bought for you and Katie. <laughs> It's peanut butter. I was like, okay. okay. <laughs> Thanks. I didn't know that was on my list of things to do, but here we are. That was like four months ago. It's like, uh, wish George Car- Washer Carvington. Washer George Washington Car- Carver. <laughs> George Carver Washington. Was a woman. <laughs> and then we would cover Jake. it with his a million Producer. ways to use a peanut. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you suspected this though. Um, <laughs> man, I am toasty. Um, it's good. This is great. So... Okay. Do you, can you tell me what you know about Lillian Gilbreth? So, you mentioned cheaper by the dozen. Uh-huh. Is she the w- mom. woman? The, She's mom? the mom? Okay. <laughs> because I did Google her earlier, and it was like a woman from like the eighteen hundreds. <laughs> yeah, that's her. Wait, what? Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Yeah, her kids wrote the book. <laughs> what? Yeah. But I thought. I thought Steve Martin, what? Well, that's um, the remake of Cheaper by the Dozen. Oh. And then she's not the actress. She's like, well, yeah, who the it's actual about. person who's yeah. about. I really did not know that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I know that she's the mom. Yes. From Cheaper by <laughs> from the Dozen. Cheaper by the Dozen. Um, and I also think I saw online that she was like a psychologist and like, then Caroline said something about how she invented a trash can. Oh yeah. She's done everything. This woman, I don't know (laughs) anything about her other than that. She's done a lot. Well, I wrote a book about her this week. It's called Google docs. Wonderful. (laughs) Can't wait to do that. So, okay. This was requested by Sarah and I believe I pronounced her last name. Watchty. Washti, Wakti, Wakti, Wachti. Tell us. Yeah. You can tell. You can send us a voice recording. Oh my gosh, you can. Um, Miss Krista sent us a voice recording of herself saying Alabama, so that I could figure <laughs> out how to say how it when, right. How a New Yorker says it. <laughs> how somebody from Long Island says Alabama. I cannot. Ah, yeah. oh, that's so, so perfect. We accept voice recordings. Apparently. Is what I found out, and it's great. Um, I listened to it thirty-seven times and decided I, I said it correctly. <laughs> okay so Sarah really thank you for requesting this because here's how Sarah came about this request I did the Rosie the Riveter episode and I was talking about women and women and women who did cool things and one of the women I mentioned in the list of women who worked in the government to do cool things was Lillian Gilbreth and she was like hey that woman you mentioned in the Rosie the Riveter episode is the mom from Cheaper by the Dozen look into that 
And then I found out that I had actually taken a picture of something she did in the American History Museum a year and a half what? ago, but I didn't know it was her. This is crazy. I know. This is absolutely so, crazy. Every intersection of your life, Lillian Gilbreth is a part of it. Uh, Bonnie Hunt. That's who plays the mom in the movie. Bonnie. <laughs> We love you. Not and Clyde and Steve. Yeah, Bonnie Martin. and Steve. <laughs> okay. And Ashton Kutcher. Are we ready? I'm so ready. We're going to dive in. This is going to be fun. We're a little drunk, but we're ready. <laughs> Buckle up, everybody. All right. <laughs> Lily Moeller was born in California on May 24th, 1878. Oh, and people are so close. They are. They lived at the same time in the United States. So I'm glad she didn't get murdered. <laughs> Glad she didn't run into Belle Gunness. <laughs> she might have. Okay. <laughs> she was the oldest of nine children. Her dad was William. He was like an upper class, wealthy family whose money came from Europe from having Ooh. a sugar refinery. So he was old money. Her mom was Annie, whose family had made money making shoes for the miners in the California gold rush. So they were new money. Um, so... Lily's mom, Annie, had two sisters who were kind of black sheeps of the family. Mm. One because she got eloped and the other one because she got divorced and worked outside the house. Damn her. Damn Damn her her. to hell. Really? But, you know, we're going to let your girl (laughs) free. But this girl is an asshole. Um, I also didn't mention this, but uh, one of Belle Gunness's other nicknames was Hell's Princess. Ah, Like like (laughs) our hellbirds outside. Maybe it's it's her. (laughs) The di- the divorced sister is actually cool as shit, though. Like, she had her doctorate in psychology and worked with Sigmund Freud. What? Lillian Gilbert's aunt. That lunatic? <laughs> worked with Sigmund <laughs> Freud. Yes, exactly. That <laughs> lunatic. <laughs> she was sheltered, her mom, as the last hope for the family. Her mom only learned, quote unquote, women's things like hosting and music. And she prepared to be a mom with a big house and lots of servants. So Annie and William married and soon there was a baby on the way. But only four months after the baby was born, she passed away. We already talked about fertility, not fertility, infant mortality rates in this episode. But because of this, Annie went kind of into a downward spiral, spiral of like anxiety and depression and seclusion and her servants kind of waited on her hand and foot and everybody walked on eggshells around Lillian's mom. So then Lily comes around and she is very wanted and very loved because they had just lost their first baby. Mm -hmm. But Lily wasn't really the perfect child. She was super shy and her parents just didn't get it. They were like Uh. outgoing people and the parents decided like, Hey, listen, you're too meek to go to school. So it was like, Mom was anxious. So then dad was anxious that mom was anxious. So then Lily was anxious because they were both anxious. And I'm sure that no one was actually talking about anything. No, 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 no. They were not talking about mental health in the 1800s. I mean, can you imagine the grand rooms that were just silently walked by? Oh, yeah. In that house. It was, uh, I mean, clicking of heels <laughs> is all you heard in that place. <laughs> click, click, click as people walked through. So mom did her best, though. With uh, no formal education, she would make flashcards for Lily because she wasn't going to school. She would kind of come up with word games. And 
she, to her credit, let Lily read anything she wanted. Ugh. Lily loved the book Little Women. She loved Charles. <gasps> Me too. D- I know. <laughs> same girl. Same. She loved Charles Dickens. She loved classic novels. She loved adventure novels. And honestly, a lot of shy people love to read because you can be an introvert, go on adventures, and not have people suck the energy out of you Ugh. all day long mm-hmm. her parents tried everything they tried bringing friends over cousins they tried different activities nothing worked they were like play the piano and sing and she was great at it but she wouldn't do it around or in front of people so when she's eight they're like we're gonna send her to private school she runs home in the middle of the day instead of reading in front of the class which again same girl oh my god <laughs> i get it oh that poor girl mm-hmm. I, I went to school with people like there's a kid I went to school with who like we always had to act out the scenes when we read plays in literature class and like his literal only line was like hark and he like could not do no. it no so you were doing Charlie Brown yeah <laughs> <laughs> hark we were <laughs> Charlie Brown a Christmas special uh-huh, uh-huh. I get it part two the <laughs> other one so he wasn't Linus yeah <laughs> <laughs> he didn't have all the the monologue no he's definitely peppermint patty got it got it got it <laughs> So what a progressive casting for a private school. <laughs> wow. Um, so we've at- got to do Peppermint Patty on the podcast. I'm so interested in that character. Write it down. We're almost at the end of this <laughs> request season. No, I meant that I didn't mean write it down. Don't talk. I meant write it down so we don't forget. <laughs> okay. At nine, she's sent to public school and her mom thought ahead. She goes, here's what we'll do. We'll put her two years behind so that she's smarter and therefore her confidence builds up. And it worked. You know what? That's not a terrible idea. I mean, this mom was anxious, but she was anxious to a fault of greatness. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I aspire to be. Anxious (laughs) to a fault of greatness. You win. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So academically, she's finally killing it in school. Still not socially. It's still kind of awful for her. She's scared of boys. She didn't want to hang out and do girly things. Whenever she was with girls, she's like, have you read this book? And like back then, educated girls like ended up as old maids. So everybody's like, no, I didn't read that book. You crazy bitch. <laughs> I but was busy with my stick and hoop like all the other girls. I've been learning cross stitch. Have you heard of Jax? <laughs> um, that was my Jax noise. So... <laughs> At high school, she found her place in society. She started writing for the school newspaper, and her English teacher was a married woman who worked outside of the home. And no this was her hero. Way. Yes, her Every hero. Every girl needs one of those. You do. Mine was Ms. McKee. Ooh. <laughs> Mine was blank. So- <laughs> That's why I am the way I am. (laughs) She was even elected vice president of her senior class at Oakland High School, where she graduated in 1896. Lily was not the only child in the family. She was one of nine children, six girls, and three boys. So during and after high school, as the oldest girl, she was expected to pretty much raise the kids. And she would feel guilty stopping at the library for books on the way home. You know, you're the oldest girl. You need to help your anxious, crazy mother with everything. And she was taught, probably for a very long time, that it was her life to be a homemaker and a mom. But... Her shyness and lack of social skills put her well on her path to spinstership by 15. 
I I love the idea of like a training montage, but like a spinster in the making. Like instead of lifting barbells, she's lifting like cats and books. <laughs> I wanna be the very best, the loneliest there ever was. <laughs> she's got like her hair frazzled like in her face, and she's like more. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's what it was. That's the what she tea did. Kettles blasting <laughs> fog into the room. She's like slowly becoming a better cook. At the beginning, she burnt something, and then like each time it gets better. Okay, she pulls out a cookbook, Meals for One, <laughs> and then opens a TV tray. We don't have TV yet. I'm just preparing. I'm just preparing. I'm inventing the tray, which she probably did. Okay, for a while, everyone was like, "Hey, hey, hey." <laughs> We know things are hard for you, so hey, like, just put the TV hey, tray down. Hey, um, maybe try music. Like, you're kind of good at the piano. But shortly after high school, she had to go to her parents with a really serious confession. She said, "I want to go to college." <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> that is not part of your spinster training. <laughs> no, <laughs> or is it? Only Emily Dickinson goes to college. And look what happened to her. <laughs> so. Her parents, specifically her father, were very against the idea. They're like, no husband is going to take you if you go to college. Like, literally, if you went to college back then, I got this from the history checks, 50% of the women who went to college never got married because, like, they were too smart for husbands. That's so funny because later on it turns into, like, go to college, get yourself a husband. Right. Get your, yeah, you go there. Get your MRS, MRS degree. degree yeah. <laughs> but her dad thought it would also make him look bad. Like, he couldn't provide for her, and he's, like, a rich guy. So... It took Lily about a year to convince her family to let her go to college. And she's like, let me hatch my little devious plan. I'm going to college, Dad, because I want to train as a teacher so I can teach my future children bad eyes, bad eyes, squirrel hair. (laughs) And he's like, oh. Papa, I just want to have good pedagogy for my own babies. (laughs) For my own children. And he's like, okay, okay, I see that. I'll agree to let you go to Berkeley for one year. This was not a big deal back then. It was like Berkeley was like the community college. Now it's something, something. Okay. Berkeley is like a literal library that anyone gets gets a degree. And the president (laughs) of the college is like, isn't this good? You women, you get to come here to train for motherhood. Isn't this good? Love it. Uh, Don't you love it? She's one of 300 students entering. Women were not allowed to live in dorms. Men had boarding houses and women commuted from home. Lily rocked college. She wrote for the literary <laughs> magazine. She acted in a play. What? The shy girl. She made male friends. She finished her first year near the top of her class. So her dad was like, I guess you, yeah, you can keep going under the condition that you commute from home and help your mom. Like when you get home, every person that was in a high school musical as a teenager is like, that's me. (laughs) She was getting her degree in English with interest in psychology and philosophy, but she easily took enough education courses to get a degree as a teacher as well. She won a prize in poetry while she was there. She got a place in Phi Beta Kappa, but then they told her that they were going to give her space to a boy because, quote, he would need the bragging rights and she would not. (laughs) She was so good and finished so close to the top of her class that they asked her to be the student commencement speaker at graduation. The girl who ran home because she didn't want to read in public is now going to speak at a college graduation. Lillian. 
girl girl you're a star well she'll be lillian in two minutes right now she's still lily oh sorry sorry so sorry so <laughs> she's the first woman to ever speak at a berkeley commencement and on may 16th 1900 she graduated and gave a speech called life a means or an end <gasps> oh, oh that's a big question lily <laughs> it's you oh my god <laughs> I'm she's silly. like i don't even know <laughs> So now Lily's like, I'm super professional. So like, I don't want to go by Lily anymore. So she straight up changed her name to Lillian. That was not her birth name. Her birth name was Lily. Really? (laughs) Yeah. And she's like, I'm only going by Lillian from henceforth. I, the literal only person in her history to be like, I'm going to elongate my name. You (laughs) know what? Bigger Bigger and better. Mm. Lily 2.0 equals Lillian. So they're like, hey. You, you did your thing. We let you go to college. You graduated. You're 22. Come home and help mom. And she's like, okay, right. But like, shouldn't I go to like grad school? And they go, <laughs> are you fucking kidding yeah. me, Lily? <laughs> they go, great. Lily in. <laughs> <laughs> they get real mad about it. I'm like, what are you also a vegetarian now? <laughs> <laughs> are you also a Democrat? <laughs> <laughs> Let me see your ballot. Let me see your ballot. <laughs> I knew that they would turn you, those lefties. <laughs> but they're like, oh, yeah, grad school. That's a great idea. But like they really just want her to go live in New York with relatives so they can introduce her to boys is Ah. what they're planning on. So they send her to New York. She goes to be in the English program and the program, the head of the program is like, no, I don't, I don't take women. So she had to switch her major to psychology to take classes. Now she only spent a very short time in New York about a year because she did get sick and have to come home. But then she finished her graduate degree in California in 1902 (laughs) <laughs> silly Lillian <laughs> silly Lily <laughs> she has this bogus idea that she wants to get a doctorate like, oh my god and now the parents are like okay you're okay. being ridiculous <laughs> is, you're obsessed with school my girl <laughs> but in order to make this like approachable she decides to do all of the female things she goes shopping she goes to operas she like d- to helps take care of the siblings she's like i'm going to act every female part so the only unladylike thing about me is that i like school <laughs> she's like do you want me to sew a bonnet i will and i can but i also <laughs> want to get my phd so we're gonna do this uh and her dad goes okay honey well Listen, you know, a doctorate is great and everything, but we feel like as a woman, you should be more worldly. So instead, we're going to send you to Europe for four months. Okay, hold on. Because they also have like a shit ton of other children, right? Oh, they're super rich. Why why are they so focused on telling Lillian no? They send her to Europe for four months instead of college. Like, yes, please. (laughs) Sign me up. (laughs) Okay. I love it. Fine. I'll, I'll go to go. Paris. I'll, I'll be at Prague. In Rome. <laughs> God, Dad. You're the worst. <laughs> so she's going to go to Europe with a chaperone. On her way, she stops in Boston and she meets Frank Gilbreth Jr. Okay. Here's the name. Another, here's the here's name. The name. <laughs> and she is like, wowza. Frank. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> her eyes are popping out of her head. <laughs> Frank. Because girls can do that too. Yeah, we can. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> we have sexual feelings towards other creatures. 
Frank was a self-made man who bailed out of MIT at 17 to be a bricklayer. And then he reinvented bricklaying. (laughs) (laughs) He invented scaffolding, a conveyor belt, lifts, and portable cement mixers. So he was rolling in it. What the hell? He invented everything that has to do with bricklaying. And he... Even went back to the MIT he left and like redesigned the buildings for them. So like, <laughs> when you drop out of an Ivy League school, it's typically because you got big things. Do you also think of Will Smith when you think MIT? Yeah, but he didn't go there. Is it just because he was an MIB? Is that why? Maybe. I think that? But no, 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 no. You think that because Sydney Allen told us that he graduated <laughs> from there? <laughs> it's not true. I think that because I was lied to. <laughs> I've never seen such a genuine spit take in my life. For the record, I just I just spit my drink everywhere. Oh my god, that was so funny. Because the fact of the matter is that our friend who we know is a chronological li- chronological pathological liar. I the only thing that I've ever believed in my life is that Will Smith went to MIT. He did not. He did not. <laughs> wow. The things got real. Wow. Sorry, I got my ab workout for the day. <laughs> Good. Oh my god. So here's the thing about Frank. He did go to MIT, unlike Will Smith. But he was a big burly handsome man and he was super loud and super blunt and super boisterous which is like the exact opposite of Lillian when opposites mm-hmm. attract it's exact you're <laughs> so vain okay so obvious attracting from both sides he took her to the ship so she could take off to Europe with her chaperone <laughs> and he goes hey in four months when you come back I'm going to be waiting here on this dock. And she's like, sure. Okay. Like, (laughs) fine. You're a rich guy from Boston. Yeah, you'll be waiting. Okay. Four months later, she pulls into Harbor, scans the dock. Who is standing with her entire family? (laughs) (laughs) Waiting for her. And they do a flash mob. (laughs) (laughs) In red shirts. They all take off their jackets. (laughs) And, um, I think I want to marry you. (laughs) Yes. It's crazy. He proposes way better than that. (laughs) But this guy's rough around the edges. But the dad and mom are like, she met a guy and he has money. So, like, we're not going to protest this one. Like, just whatever. Get married. So the day after Christmas, on the Golden Gate Bridge, he asks her with a ring from Tiffany's already engaged with the date to marry him. Oh. What a stud. Oh, my God. Seriously. Okay. While engaged, he sent her his manuscript manuscripts to proof. He asked her questions about business things, and he took her advice on what to do, which her mom and dad turned their nose up at. They were like, <laughs> this guy is crazy. <laughs> um, but this is a good time to add that he had a single mom who raised her children to be powerful. And 
Although he had two siblings, they were both sisters. And one was a noted musician, and the other was a world-renowned botanist. So this man respects women. Is this person Sean Wickstead? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, as a, a only female among all brothers, I love when, like, a guy has only sisters. Yeah. I think it's so great. And they they act different. I know they from do. Teaching, I know from teaching boys that have all sisters that they act different. Not yeah. better or worse, just different. Yeah. For sure. So now she did make her mom very sad when she decided to not have a big wedding, which surprise she got (laughs) married in a small, quiet ceremony on a Wednesday in in October. And their honeymoon was at the St. Louis World. Oh, no. (laughs) What the hell? It's so funny because the fact of the matter is. The Chicago World's Fair was the first one where all the shit went down. And every single person that we've talked about recently has been at the St. Louis World's Fair. I love that they all cross paths. Bill Gunness is killing people while Maude Wagner and Frank Frank (laughs) are at the World's Fair. It's It's so wild. They're getting tattoos, drinking PBR. They're just being crazy. (laughs) They really are. (laughs) They decided to settle in Manhattan with his mother, Martha, and his aunt kind of living in the same house. So they're living with the in-laws, which would piss most women off. But to her, it meant his mom could deal with housekeeping and she could work. She's like, I'm going to make fucking lemonade. Uh Uh-huh. I'm going to fucking make sangria out of this box wine (laughs) (laughs) so he asked her listen babe make a list of your qualifications that you're bringing to this marriage so that together we can assess your assets and we can make a formidable team together okay so he wants to know what she can do and then they made a goal to have an even dozen children (laughs) so like you know what's a nice number 12 12 you know, it sucks a baker's dozen. I don't want any of that we shit. We don't want 13. So, first baby Anne, she was had very, very quickly. The second baby, Lillian was pregnant and had gone to California to visit her family because her family's in California. He's in New York. So, she goes to visit them because there's an earthquake and she wants to make sure everything's set up and all the kids are okay. But while she's there, she's setting up, like, brick construction jobs for Frank. <laughs> while she's pregnant, she's, like, acting as his salesperson. I know a thing or two about bricks. And then she <laughs> has the baby, Mary, while she's in California. And then they live back and forth between two coasts for a while. God, she's a brick fucking house. Yeah. Let me tell you. And then Frank says, hey, you know what? You know how you have always really wanted to get your doctorate i like really think you should go get your doctorate in industrial psychology because people need to take you seriously and his quote was men can be self-made but you need credentials <laughs> he knew like he was right because like he's blunt you know it's alive and well sexism <laughs> so lillian go get you some mm-hmm. He knows what to do. He does. He was very like, it was like he was very honest about what was happening and then supportive of ways to fix it. I love it. So she's handling all of his customer communication. She's editing and writing his manuscripts. She's helping him with speeches for universities. She wrote four books in four years and she has four children at the time. 
So they decide we got to get kind of out of Manhattan and they go to New Jersey so she can get her so they can kind of live as a family and get the doctorate degree. Um, But she was supposedly authorized to do her Ph.D. remotely with the university in New York. How was that like remote university makes sense to us now Mm -hmm. how was that even a thing back then it was like so she was supposed to be doing her research but not literally on the school grounds so she's doing all the phd study and research but she's not actually on the university campus okay so frank moved into the field of scientific management and efficiency And he joined the American Society of Mechanical Engineers. There was an international meeting in London. And he's like, oh, no, you're coming with me. And then there's all these wife luncheons. (laughs) And (laughs) she's like, no, I'm not going to this. And he's like, yeah, I know. You're coming to the meetings with me. (laughs) But she knew how to play her part because she did it with her dad. I will bat my eyes and play the woman so everybody's comfortable with me being here. She always downplayed her role in the situation. In this field, the main idea and the main research at the time was that there's people working on a line in a factory. You click a stopwatch and you bully them into working faster and faster and faster. And then if they can't work faster and faster and faster, then you fire them and hire someone else. Lillian is at this conference going, that's a bad idea. People work better if they're happy and in good conditions. Yes, it took a woman to figure this out. People still don't get that now, though. Like, I got so mad today because I was talking to this guy that I was on a job site with. And he was like, yeah, we're actually having a really big problem with COVID because a lot of the people that live here work at, like, fast food restaurants. And they will test positive and still be told to come into work. Yeah. Like, it's like, well, then you're not going to get your hours. It's like people will. Mm, okay. Mm-hmm. And okay. a lot at this point, all bosses are men and they are not like looking at the idea of working conditions. They say that's too touchy feely. It must be a woman coming up with this idea, which it was. <laughs> and she just kept saying to these people, you can't make people machines. You can't. Yeah. It's not going to improve results. So. This did catch someone's attention because they invited her and Frank to the first conference of scientific management. She stayed to the side, though, while she was there because she was nursing yet again another baby, her son, so she couldn't mix and mingle. But at the end of the conference, the chairman was up on stage giving a speech, and he says, I see you, girl. (laughs) But what he really said was... We've all been watching the quiet individual who has been working along lines absolutely different from any other worker in the field of scientific management. Just saying, like, I know you're here. I know you've been breastfeeding. I know how much work you're doing, and it's super cool. Mm. So his wife must be awesome. (laughs) So her main goal and Frank's main goal was to make life easier by reducing motions for workers. So the Gilbreths used stop motion recording. They would film factory workers and play it back to figure out how the work could be done smoother. So here's the thing. They say that everything happens in steps. First is search, looking for an object. Second is find, you locate the object. Third is select, reach out and touch it. Fourth is grab, you pick it up. Um, Fifth is transport. You bring it to where it needs to be. And sixth is positioning. You angle it to do what it needs to do. So, for example, a spoon or a hairbrush or, like, anything you're finding. So 
what they did for factories was say, we can eliminate some of that process to make it easier on the workers and then their brains aren't working so hard. So for example, let's paint the tools in a toolbox different bright colors so you know a tape measure. That's why tape measures are bright orange, red, yellow because you need to find them. It eliminates the search. She does hundreds of hours of studying and reducing. Hey, this machine is in the wrong place in your factory. If you put it here, everybody could do it 30 minutes faster. Well, you know what's so crazy is like they are just doing this with things like surgery. Like I used to work in patient safety and they were talking about how like it was a real big push to like they were they people would literally go into surgery as little as like 10, 15 years ago and be like, where's the fucking scalpel? And someone would have to exit the surgery room. And like come back in with the scalpel. We're going to get to that actually. Okay. Okay. It is part of this story. Everything we know about society is because of Lillian Gilbreth. (laughs) So she's doing all this stuff and she turns in her dissertation to the university and it was rejected because they said, we didn't authorize you to work from home. They literally told her to. She thought she was authorized to work from home. Apparently, it was somebody's word and not an official document. So they did not let her get her PhD. Then, right after she's turned down for the thing she's wanted her entire life, her six-year-old Mary got sick with diphtheria. Lillian was told she could not go love her and nurse her back to health and hug her because she'd bring it to her other children. Mary did not survive. Lillian always struggled answering the question of how many kids you have after this Mm. in her autobiography that she wrote. She skipped over it. She just couldn't talk about it. And they got up and moved out of the house immediately because of the memories. It was too much. So they went to Rhode Island to get away from the sadness and the pain. The Rhode Island years are the years that cheaper by the dozen. The book is about She's written as a benevolent mother. It was written by two of her children. She ran the household with efficiency, just like a business. She had chore charts and she had this wild sense of logic. Like, hey, you're you as a child are really good at laundry. So you do laundry because that's the most efficient. I don't care if it's the chore you don't like. You're the best at it. So she just kind of had this perfect little life. And Cheaper by the Dozen came out well after this. But it hardly mentioned that she went to work ever. And she was a full-fledged employee all the time. <laughs> That's so crazy. It is weird because it, it formed the way that we think about her in America. So her one daughter wrote it and then her brother edited it and they published it. It's super popular. And then they kind of became famous in America because of it. And it altered the way we see her in American history because we see family meetings and they elected a vice president in their family and they had committees (laughs) and the kids would committee buy birthday presents for each other and like submit bids for who's going to do which chore. They were a well-oiled machine of efficiency. (laughs) So then she says, okay, I'm in Rhode Island. All this is happening. I'm going to go to Brown University and try to get my doctorate again. A whole new doctorate. She's not submitting the old thing. She's already, quote unquote, done one. Now she's doing it again. So this time she's studying her kids and she's studying schools and teachers. This dissertation ends up being called Some Aspects of Eliminating Waste in Teaching, which turned teaching into a scientific field for the first time instead of women's work. Again, that's her second full dissertation. I also want to remind people right now, she is not superhuman. 
Frank knew she was a gold mine. Grandma was there taking care of the kids and they had a slew of servants. I don't want other women to feel guilty that they can't do this because she had all the support in the world. Right. She like, and I think that's what, um, people don't understand about like number one social media now is like, you know, women who like look a particular way, like they have time to exercise. They have personal trainers. They have professional dietitians, you know, like some women can get there on their own and like, but a lot of women on Instagram, like, you know, like the Kardashians, like they pay a lot of money to like have a team of people that helps them accomplish X, Y, Z. And like, that's what she has. So like, yeah, mm. yeah. It's a really so, good point to make. Cause it kind of feels like, Oh my God. Yeah, like, It makes I don't you feel guilty. Happens. Yeah. It makes you feel really guilty. And, but she had everybody working for her. So it makes it a little bit. Okay. She also had a daily schedule, how much time she would allot to spend with each kid, which she did. She was a good mother, but like also worked, which a lot of mothers are. She scheduled in nap time for herself. Cause you pay yourself first girl <laughs> every day. She scheduled a nap. Really? Yeah. The kids were doing chores. <laughs> she had a cook because her kids described her as the most inefficient cook, which is mm. <laughs> funny because her study was efficiency. So yeah. cute on the kids <laughs> for saying that. Um, and there was no interrupting mom during work time. Frank kept a chart that you had to tally if you needed to interrupt mom while she was working, oh which God. we need at this house. <laughs> <laughs> so now Dr. Gilbreth, was not only an educator, a psychologist, a doctor, but she was a trickster. She always made Frank and the world think that he was in charge while oh she was letting God. her plan happen. After graduation, though, immediately after, she gave birth to a stillborn. <gasps> and while people allowed her to mourn over Mary's death, they had to keep this a secret. Because they knew if they let it out, the world would say, this is what happens when you let a woman work and go to school. So her and Frank kept it a secret from the whole world. That so, bums me out so hard. And she just mourned alone so that nobody would know. Also, now she and Frank are starting to get clients and help out businesses. And they're like, hey, come help our employees learn time stop motion. <laughs> and um, this... This is the things that Lillian came up with. Have you gone to work and seen a suggestion box? That's her. Have you been a part of a peer review with another employee? That's her. Have you ever had a mentor from an older employee? That's her. Have you ever seen a flow chart of what your business is going to do next? That's her. Have you ever seen a window or non-fluorescent lighting in your business? That's her. Have you ever had a break? That's her. Oh, my God. She told them employees can't operate like this. She told them you need democratic meetings. You need managers to work with workers. And it cut factory production time in half. What? It, it, when this is the whole thing. It's just like people think that you need to work humans like machines in order to reach the maximum efficiency. And it's like, actually, if you treat them like humans then they're much more efficient. Exactly. She added the human element to the scientific method, reminding people that the well-being of employees is not unnoticed. Her clients included Major League Baseball, Ford, Kodak, Remington typewriters, different steel companies. She is 
running a school to train other motion study experts. She's writing book after book and in the common vernacular because her husband was too technical. And she was like, nobody's going to read it. But (laughs) she had to put her initials on the front of every book. It said L.M. Gilbreth. She couldn't put her name on it. And some producers would only let her husband's name go on it. She's also on Baby 8 and 9 at this time. Oh, my God. So she has been doing all of this cool stuff in like with like the Democratic household and stuff like that before she even had 12 children. Yes. Okay. She is like uh, this is like a whole process. So World War One happens and it's her job. Then they call her in. You need to adapt factories and homes for the disabled veterans coming back because we need to know what's easiest for them to operate, which is what she's good at. So she streamlined homes and also taught other homes how to reduce waste so they could send more supplies to the boys overseas. But Frank is also like, oh, my God, I totally want to be part of the war effort. So he goes overseas to, like, help with the soldiers and is like all over America. And this is the famous tonsil party part. If you've ever read or seen Cheaper by the Dozen, the original film, he was like, oh, my God, before I leave, all my kids need tonsillectomies. And he decides to have it filmed so that he could see how the surgery could be more official because it's 12 like nearly identical surgeries. So it's going to be like a human study. Um, So anytime you see a doctor ask for a scalpel. It's because she said, that's what you need to ask for first. Anytime you see a dental assistant rip those tools out of the bag and line them up in a very specific order before the dentist comes in, that was her. She told them how to line up the tools so it would be more efficient. That is incredible. (laughs) I know. The fact that you brought it up. I love that I brought that up. It's, It's crazy that she came up with it. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. She's changed everything. So then Frank's bopping around the country and the world. She's raising 12 kids, whatever. Frank becomes really sick, and she gets a call and is summoned as his next of kin. And it's like a serious heart weakness. It's months of his life being compromised. But he's going to make it, but he has to change the patterns in his life, which he's not going to do, so they just give him pills to take. So... Because he's sick and she's on baby 10, the family finances start slipping a little bit. They're not by any means poor, but they don't have all the money they used to have. So they're like, let's get out of Rhode Island and back to New York where all the clients are. But then they Martha dies, the mother-in-law, and now there's less servants because they don't have as much money. So the older daughters are stepping up and helping out with the kids, kind of like she had to do. So she decides like let's do this life experiment and her kids are all in so she starts recording what's the fastest way to take a bath how should showers be made with shelves so that everybody can get what they need what's the easiest way to have clothes done oh it's actually not easy the cheapest way to have clothes done is to send them out and have somebody do it and bring it back the the easiest thing to do is to not iron young boys clothes because they just get messed up so don't waste your time on it she like was really into time management so reporters are like oh my god can we come to your house and video this and they do and her family becomes famous around america they show it as shorts before movies in movie theaters and (laughs) Frank is like upbeat and running around and like, let's do this and let's do this. And Lillian is slow and serene and the best example of a modern woman. Of course, America didn't know she had a job. 
She's on babies 11 and 12. They were born and then Lillian got really sick and had to have an emergency hysterectomy. So it's clear. I want to be clear. She never had a dozen children at once because Mary had passed away and she had a stillborn. But she did have a baker's dozen. She had 13, one stillborn and then one that passed away. Um, So they were supposed to go to London to speak at like this Academy of Women Engineers. But she couldn't go because she had just had the hysterectomy and she was 46, still having kids at 46 and was like, I'm I just can't go. And everybody understood but she and Frank were then invited to the World Power Conference. Ooh. Fun name, right? <laughs> so for Frank's birthday, she decided I'm going to surprise him and write him his own autobiography. <laughs> Which she did. She oh wrote it. Yeah, she but is wild. She is. But five days before leaving, June 14th, 1924, Frank called and said, hey, babe, can you check something in my desk? Quote, I'll wait. She goes to his desk and comes back, and there was no answer on the phone. What? Frank had died of a heart attack in the phone booth at 56. Oh, my God. And she, according to his wishes, donated his brain to Harvard, which actually the first female pathologist was the one to remove his brain and put it in a jar. Uh, They had a very simple funeral, and then she and all the kids voted on whether or not she should go to the World Power Conference. They voted yes. So she went five days after her husband died. Um, When Frank died, though, three of their biggest clients canceled contracts, not willing to believe that Lillian had ever been the brains behind it. They did have to make some financial cuts. They had to transfer less expensive colleges for some of the kids. She had to sell all her jewelry. She's traveling around the country giving speeches, but it's not transferring to gold because people respected Frank, not her. Because the way that it fucking worked back then is like the only th- the it worked because people didn't know that she worked. And that's so frustrating because now it's coming back to bite her in the ass like them all in the ass because now like her and her 11 living children oh my god okay but there was someone the vice president of johnson and johnson had a thought he said can you teach all of my managers stop motion and better yet i'll send them to your house so you don't have to leave your kids whoa it was $1,000 a student to do this class, which is $14,000 today. And the students were so inspired by her and vocal about their experience that she got twice the students the next year. One of them convinced the boss of Macy's that Lillian held the key to success in customer service. Macy's ha- was a client that Frank did not get. He tried to sell them a lot and they were like, now Lillian they wanted her so they had her go quote-unquote undercover and work the floor of Macy's for weeks so that she could see how it really worked and then she could improve the efficiency of the clerks to help make them happier and one of the things she came up with was how to lay out a store Store layout what? is her idea. No. Yes. Is she the reason I spend $100 at Target every time She's I the reason I always buy flip-flops at Old Navy. Damn, <laughs> damn her. Store layout. God damn it, Lillian. 
Um, retailers all over start calling her like, hi. So here's something we just figured out that women are 80% of the buying power for like every household. So could you like, did you come on, come on, come on, teach us what women want. What do, what do women want, Mel? So. What a girl wants. <laughs> Thanks. What a girl needs. Christina. So. You're welcome, Amanda Bynes. <laughs> <laughs> Johnson and Johnson's having trouble marketing though. They get really nervous about how to market their sanitary napkins. And the bosses are calling her trying to ask for help. And she's like, wait, what do you need help with? And they're like, <laughs> you know, the, the, the wink, wink, the thing, wink, <laughs> the, you know, you know, the wink and the double wink. I don't <laughs> Lillian. I could not spell it out clearer. They're so embarrassed and so uncomfortable and <laughs> red in the face that she finally figures it out. And they're like, we just don't know. And she's like, just shut up. I'm going to go and do like this whole research <laughs> study on how pads work. Like calm down. So she hired all women and went to talk to women and collected data and helps to sell the first commercially available pad marketed as by women for women that's amazing waba i mean (laughs) i don't know so she's also at this time the first person to bring up flex time for women she said women need job sharing so a working woman still has things to do at the home so a woman could share a job with another woman and they could trade off and they're like oh cool so then the great depression happens and everything goes into a tailspin in america and the whole world but of course she reinvented herself again she had done schools and marketplaces and retail but now she's like i'm gonna do the home she sought to provide women with shorter simpler and easier ways of doing homework to enable them to seek paid employment outside of the house because they needed to So she does an efficiency study and she figures out things like earlier I said about not ironing clothes a certain way and dishes, how to do that. She develops the first practical kitchen layout. So when you go to Ikea and it says work triangle or linear kitchen, those are her words. What? She found out that you have to have the fridge, the sink, and the oven in one of two very specific layouts and that's the only way to set up a kitchen otherwise it won't work the triangle or the linear that's it she also developed the step trash can you use your foot the trash can opens everything goes inside have you ever opened your fridge and gotten balsamic vinaigrette out of the shelf shelves every night i know the shelves on the inside of doors That's her, along with the egg tray and the butter tray that is right inside the door to your fridge. I mean, the egg tray I've definitely never used. Nope, throw it in the garbage. (laughs) Don't eat. They come in a tray. Just buy the eggs, throw them in the garbage. Thank you, Lily. (laughs) Thanks, Lily. (laughs) So she did a study that interviewed four thousand women to figure out the proper height of a kitchen counter to make work efficient. And she's the reason that they are all a certain way. She also came up with wall light switches instead of having to click something from the ceiling. What? Now it's on the wall. Easier to get to, right? Yeah, especially because you're walking (laughs) into the room and you have to find the center of the room in the dark. Doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. So she obviously gets invited to the 1929 Women's Expedition because, like, come on. So people are like, oh, my God, you're like the best mom and cook ever. We want pictures of your famous kitchen. And she looks at her kids and is like, 
<laughs> I don't cook and I don't run a kitchen. And they're like, oh, shit. So, like, they get her kitchen remodeled real quick. And she learns how to make, like, one simple cake. So, when, the, when they come over, she can be like, look, I'm a lady. I'm Martha Stewart. Surprise. And they're like, we don't know who that is. And her kids lovingly said, if she could get into a man's world through a kitchen door, that's what she was going to do. Oh, my God. <laughs> so... Another one said to see your mom able to work all day and then come home and snap from a businessman into an understanding and sympathetic mother (laughs) makes you wish that it was possible for more people to do the same. Hmm. After 11 of her children, all 11 living children graduated from college (laughs) and all of them are working and turning out fine and all of her daughters are married and all of the boys are war heroes everybody's like wait so like a working mom can also have like children that aren't shitheads like wow wow so then president hoover's like well i need some help during the uh great depression and she's like oh here's how you help president hoover she's called onto his staff uh women matter so let's tell them they matter and let's teach them how to shop at stores that are operating ethically during the great depression and let's also here's how she told the women to do that don't deny yourself every single thing you're the key to happiness in your family buy something for yourself and then deal with the extra so what you're saying is Lillian really started treat yourself. Yes. Treat yourself. You heard it here first. Schedule a nap in. Buy yourself something during the Great Depression. <laughs> Prishin? Prishin. <laughs> Do it. But she also, when they started coming up with inventions to help in the kitchen, she wrote an article to women that said, Do not. Use the extra time to clean more. Make that time for you and tell no one. (laughs) (laughs) It's our little secret. Excuse me, excuse me. Shh. Victoria's secret is actually just take a fucking nap. (laughs) (laughs) Lillian's secret is I had enough sex for 13 pregnancies. So during World War II, obviously, which is where this whole episode came from back in the Rosie the Riveter thing, she had to help get women in the workplace and get them to be efficient, good employees. And she was on the board of WAX and WAVES, which were women military organizations and how to, you know, help women get paid for non-combat jobs. And she's assisting President Franklin. Then she's offered a position at Purdue University as a professor of mechanical engineering, the only female professor of mechanical engineering at Purdue. And she befriends another female professor named Amelia Earhart. (gasps) No! What? (laughs) Named Amelia Earhart. Lillian Galbraith is Forrest Gump. (laughs) What the hell of the first half of the 20th, 19th century? She first gumped at us. She first gumped at us. (laughs) What the hell? She has so many awards and honorary degrees and engineering awards and President Franklin and Hoover and Truman are all using her. She's on the board of the Girl Scouts and women military organizations. She's on a civil advisory committee. And then... During the Korean War, she was responsible for figuring out the women nurses in the MASH units so that they could be, like, advised on how to help the president. She 
is giving lectures and visiting several boards. She taught and presented all over the world and volunteered her time. She taught at Harvard, Yale, Colgate, University of Michigan, MIT, Stanford, Purdue, Bryn Mawr, Rutgers, University of Wisconsin. She also helped design a desk that IBM displayed at the Chicago World Fair. Wait, what? And this desk was the pre-runner. How is, wait, how is the Not, Chicago- We're now in 1933. <laughs> yeah, but the Chicago World Fair was in the 1800s. Oh, no, there's more of them. There's another, oh, there's another okay. one. <laughs> the, the predecessor to the previous okay. Chicago World Fair. Okay. Um, but <laughs> this desk was the predecessor to ergonomics. Stop it, right? Louie! Stop it. So at 86 years old, she was still lecturing at MIT when Will Smith went there. (laughs) (laughs) At the height of MIT's popularity. (laughs) So there's ill health. It led her to move to Arizona with her daughter. And in 1972, at the age of 94, she died in a nursing home. She had struggled the last couple of years because she had like dementia and she couldn't remember a lot of her life, but she had lived 50 years past her husband and had her own solo career. For all of those years, Lillian's career mixed psychology and education and engineering and scientific management. She included being a wife and mother in her research and writing and counseling. She found That people who work need to be coddled and that's okay and it's not embarrassing. And she's also the pioneer of all of these things I talked about because when you go to the American National History Museum in Smithsonian's in on the DC mall, there's a whole section about food in America and there are multiple tables and kitchen layouts all with her name on them. She and all of her works, all the books, are in archives in Washington, D.C., and she is a fucking hero. That's Lillian Gilbreth. That's incredible. Um, <laughs> Where I'm do just, we even go with this? I'm so blown away. Um, so we need to just immediately go into the last segment of the show. We do. Which is a little <laughs> thing we call just the two of us. Well, because you just have <laughs> such a very good person and such a very bad person. Oh, and yeah. I don't, uh, I mean, okay. It's weird. Okay, so one thing you said, like for her, it seemed like all the insurance fraud and all of the murder, she was taking what she wanted, but Lillian was earning what she should have already had. Yes. Well, and honestly, too, I also think there's a big difference here between like old money and no money because Lillian did come from a life of privilege. So like money seeking to her was not at the forefront which is a thing we talk about a lot with like the industrial revolution and stuff like people had suddenly had leisure time because they weren't churning butter every second of the day. Right. And for Lillian and bell, it's like Lillian's front forethought was never like, I need to make money. She had the leisure of being like, okay, here's what I would like to do with my life. And thankfully I come from a family that allows me to do that. And like, obviously they took that in terrible ways because some women can come from nothing and be great. Some women can come from a lot and be terrible. Um, and we just have two women who like for bell making it in America was like getting money any way she fucking could, which meant killing a ton of people. 
And I, they both had the same interests, interests though. It was like money, mm-hmm. my husband, and kids. Yes. They had those interests, but they just they just executed them in entirely different ways. Yeah, no, they absolutely did. And it's very interesting because their lives followed a similar trajectory of like, oh, here's my love. And for Lillian, it's like this very true, genuine love that changed her life. And then it's for Belle. It's like true love. Oh, thanks for the money. I'm going to murder you. (laughs) And it's a very fake love. It is, but they both came out of groups of multiple siblings, and I wonder yes. what that does to a person when your parents don't focus on you 100%. Yeah. You have to kind of make it on your own. Well, and to be honest with you, both of them were being, technically they were both being not well-behaved. Oh, no. Because Lillian is being not well-behaved, and she's like, no, I'm going to go against my parents' wishes, and I'm going to stand out from the crowd even though I know I shouldn't, and I am going to work, I am going to learn, and then again, you have the terrible side of it where Belle's like, you know what? Nobody's really paying attention to me because I was one of, you know, six, seven, whatever siblings. And like, nobody really paid attention to me. And like, I'm here in America. I'm an immigrant. Nobody's paying attention to me. No, no authorities read the Norwegian news. So like I can post as many fucking ads as I want. And like the whole thing is like, what do you, mm, I'm, I'm going to quote an Under Armour commercial. What you do in the dark puts you in the light. You mean the only way is through? (laughs) (laughs) But you know what I'm saying? It's like what you do in the dark, which for Lillian is working really fucking hard, puts you in the light. For Belle, it was what you do in the dark is going to make you a horrible serial killer. Well, and you know, okay, so uh, I just find that they both got to play the woeful widow. Mm -hmm. They both got to like Belle in her letters to men got to play the feminine woman and Lillian spent her life playing the feminine woman so she could be accepted in a man's world and you at one point said it was dozens of men and as soon as you said there were dozen I was like (laughs) yeah it is it's the the way that they were just like we're gonna have a dozen children and that's literally the only thing Lillian never achieved because of her hysterectomy and her babies who passed away and it's like Belle murdered literal dozens of people yeah and in a weird way because she like couldn't have a ton of children like I think she was honestly like I think she was really mad about that part and it's it's great because I also wrote down played the quote-unquote woman yeah because you have one person doing it you know for general like you know social well-being and social gain and then you have Belle doing it to literally ensnare men and it's one of the problems I think with how women are perceived and have been perceived through time is you have people being like, Oh, she's just doing that for attention. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, you know, I think people think that women are being fake a lot of the time. And it's like, well, you know what? We kind of fucking have to be sometimes in this world with like, given the hand that we're being dealt. It's like, sometimes you have to be like, yes, of course I love you. Just come here and bring your entire life savings and sew it into your (laughs) underpants. Sometimes you just have to say that. Sometimes you just have to say that. Every woman knows when that time comes. Sometimes you just have to say, (laughs) add a pedal to that trash can, please. (laughs) But yeah, and it's like, 
And it's one of those things they were both trying to make life easier for themselves and other women. Like, I think like I think Belle legitimately thought she was like, no, this is the easiest way to make money is to murder people because she was a sociopath. I picture like Frank and Lillian like having a discussion about her like, oh, over God. dinner because it was like in Did the you hear about Belle Gunnis? cultural zeitgeist. It was. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, she was literally <laughs> you said they were like the, the St. Louis World's Fair is when she's like a, like. Some of the height of her. No, that was when she burned down her second house. Yeah, her second one. Yeah. So in just a few years, she killed all these people. And in just a few years, you know, like Lillian is working, building an empire. Right. It's just all about what you can do with the time um, that you're given. And I and think that you said they she did it all with the time yeah. she was given. That's the exact word you said. And I was like, you think your girl did it all. Dude, <laughs> I have somebody who actually did it all. And here's the thing. I. I wrote down that like Lillian literally built America and it just sh- and like Bell tried to like tear it down because the thing is in America, because this is like, you know, quote unquote, like a land of freedom. It's like you can like use this freedom that people have and like you can build it to like be the best. And sometimes you can build it to be the absolute worst. worst. <laughs> And I honestly think that both of them thought they were just doing the best they could for women of the late 1800s, early 1900s. And that looked different for those two women. Mm -hmm. And I think you can look at like, well, one came for money and like one was uh, an immigrant who like didn't have a lot of, you know, social standing and like you know what i'm saying it's just like very interesting not that i think that all like immigrant women are serial killers i think that's what you said i heard you say that i was like no you heard her here first is what you're saying all norwegians are serial killers both of them were a hundred percent capable of whatever they chose a good thing or a bad thing they had the capability to do that and i think it's why bell's not famous because we don't like to focus on female serial killers because it seems like something women aren't capable of they're not capable of that anger just like it's like oh really women aren't capable of actually rewriting the entire history of american business (laughs) like we don't even know who she is because we don't want to talk about it yeah it's like i don't want a woman coming in here telling me how to run my factory women don't even work and literally johnson and johnson and like macy's and kodak are like help us uh please help us come here um thank you yeah and i (laughs) i just think these are two women making it in america they are um Mm -hmm. yeah what Oh my God! What crazy stories to compare! I, know, I, I love. Okay, weird. I love it. I love it. Um, do you have anything else to say? I don't. I think we're except I for a toast. We have to toast because these two women are so wild and different, and I love that they lived at the same exact time. Yeah. Um, Allie, who would you like to toast this evening? I think I've probably done something like this before, but I just really, I want to toast the people in the background there is there's so many women and like i should know lillian gilbert's name and i don't we all should i can't believe that i've never heard of her it's like i know who the rockefellers are but i don't know lillian gilbert like she changed america in the deepest deepest sense and we should all know her for more than just cheaper by the dozen so whatever front you're putting up or whatever front or thing that you did in the past i just to women that we don't know about. I'm just mm. like so enamored yeah. with learning every week. Uh, so cheers. cheers. All right. 
I forgot that I wrote this as my toast before I said that last thing I just said. But <laughs> I'm going to toast people who are just trying to make it in America. Mm. Um, none of those poor men that Bell killed deserved what Bell did to them. And I just want to say that I am pro people coming here to seek a better life. And I'm very anti people getting murdered. So this toast is not for Bell. <laughs> it's for the people who thought that they were making it in america and getting a better life and they just got murdered so cheers to them and i'm so sorry that happened to you oh, so cheers sorry. okay all right Allie. so as normal because sometimes i feel like i never i don't say this enough we like to do pop plugs at the end because sometimes stories like mine are horrific and you just want to wipe your brain of something um so Allie, in a positive end to the episode what are you enjoying in pop culture this week so this is kind of silly because we <laughs> released an episode about this this week. There was a book that Katie and I interviewed the author and it is an excellent book. And I know when I listen to podcasts, sometimes I skip over their bonus episodes yeah. because I'm just like, I don't want to listen to your mailbag. I don't want to listen yeah. to your random bonus episode. But because I know people do that and I totally give you permission to do that because you don't have to oh, listen yeah. to every single one of everything that ever happens. Um, there's a book Katie and I read this week and interviewed the author and the book is called Strong Like Her and it is available. You can get everywhere. A, everywhere. You can get a print copy. You can get an audible copy. If you want to go in and get it through us, you can get a free book on. I don't know what it is anymore. Oh, audibletrial.com slash Oh my God. Look at you. Look at you. <laughs> but Strong Like Her is such a cool book about women through history and sports and like ancient Greece through now and just the relationship with women's bodies and the way that they are seen in terms of athletics. It's so good. The author is a doll. Haley Shapley. We love her. She, she did a great interview with us. She was a treat to talk to. So I just, I, w I want more women like that to be supported. So buy her book and read her book because it's so good. Please do. It really was just absolutely. It's funny because I almost made up my pop plug this yeah. week. <laughs> We could have both plugged it. It's we could have really both good. It it's so fantastic. Um, but that's such a great recommendation. Yeah. If you want a free copy of it, go to audibletrial.com slash herstory. Yeah. And you can get a free audio copy of this book and she'll still get the royalties because I, that's I'm where sure life that's works. Somehow. Yeah. That's where I'm life sure works. that's somehow. Um, okay. So what do you got for me? I'm going to promote this silly little podcast that I've been listening to for a while now. Um, it's called I Said No Gifts. And the whole premise of the show is that, you know, the guy's like, I said no gifts. And people bring him a gift every week. Mm -hmm. And they talk about the gift and they play games associated with gifts. <laughs> <laughs> and it's one of those things. So a lot of people have, you know, like celebrity interview shows and stuff. And I'm here for that. But this one, there's such a specific purpose that like the conversations are like, it's just a very relaxing show because like, honestly, I don't know who any of these people are mm. pretty much. I've known like a couple of the guests, but that's it. And I just, there are a lot of like, you know, writers and stuff like comedy writers and stuff, but like, it's so funny and fun and like to see like what people give Bridger Weiniger who is the host of the show and like to hear them play the games like they have gift or a curse and gift master and like it's just it's a really fun like oddly relaxing show because none of it matters 
And I think sometimes we need something like that. Oh, yes, we do. We're like, this show doesn't fucking matter. And I love that it doesn't. And it brings me a lot of joy. And the theme song is really top notch. <laughs> so go check out I Said No Gifts um, with Bridger Weininger. Um, mm. It's really delightful. Perfect. Um, okay, great. You can find us everywhere, anywhere, yes. all the places. We want you to talk to us, be with us, be get ready for Christmas. Guys, if you want a Christmas gift, you have to be on Patreon with your address on there. Mm -hmm. uh, if you don't want to pay, just like us anyway. Oh, you don't have do. to pay us. We don't need that. No, you absolutely um, do not. Now, we do love your money. It's, it's maybe my favorite thing. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know. Yeah. But more importantly, like... I mean, also equally importantly, um, we love it when you rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That really gets the word out there. Um, so thank you to everyone who has and everyone who will. Wink, wink, you. Um, we love you so much. And But most of all, we want you to never forget that well-behaved women do not have podcasts. No, they don't. And they <laughs> rarely make history. Goodbye. Bye. listening to her story on the rocks we are independently produced by 1986 entertainment and proudly recorded in baltimore maryland if there's a woman in history you would like us to cover you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com you can also message us on twitter or instagram we post all of our cocktail recipes on tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us see you next week bye